Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to QLS Classic Episode 27 with Mob Deep founder Prodigy, May 2017. Uh, we were fortunate to have an amazing conversation with Albert Johnson, a.k.a. Queensbridge's finest prodigy from the infamous Mob Deep, while he was still with us on this earthly plane. He passed away a month after this episode first debuted. He's promoting his Commissary Kitchen prison cookbook at the time, but we also got to chop it up about his life growing up as a doo-wop kid, the doo-wop parents, his grandmother's dance school, choreographer Michael Peters, Queensbridge in the 80s, fights, beef, Beats, a life of diamond and guns, wake up calls. And yeah, that's some of James Green. A special encore presentation of QLS Classic with rapper Prodigy and his co author, Kathy Iandoli. Thank you. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Fonte's in the building. Yeah. Check out my rhymes. Yeah. QLS family. Yeah. Your beef is mine. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. I hate you. Su- su- Suprema roll call. Suprema. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Sugar Steve. Yeah. I need a sugar free. Yeah. Commissary. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. My name's Boss Bill. Yeah. Winter despising. Yeah. But it's spring again now. Yeah. Temperatures rising. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. Rap rapidly raps. Yeah. I hope you can hear me. Yeah. 
through these wiretaps. <laughs> roll call, <laughs> Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call, Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call. So it's like, yeah, I'm a little shook. Yeah. My verse will be better. Yeah. If I read more books. Roll call, <laughs> Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call, Suprema, su, su, Suprema, roll call. My name is Kathy. Yeah. I'll write those books. Yeah. yeah. Laya can read them. Yeah. yeah. I've got no more hooks. Roll call, <laughs> Suprema, Suprema, roll call, Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Call me P. Yeah. H N I C. Yeah. We on this show. Yeah. Let's mother go, motherfucking go. <laughs> Suprema, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. That was not bad. I'm gonna be wild. That wasn't Good bad. That wasn't bad. Damn, Kathy came through. I mean, what? ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Questlove Supreme. Is this our, our first double? Uh, kind of our first uh, double guest. Uh, I mean, Pete Rock and Smoke Dizzle. Okay. He ain't talking much smoke dizzle, so yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> and that was also the episode where D'Angelo came in and was like, Oh, yeah. It's funky. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's more RB. It's more RB. That was right. And then he left. That's it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a special episode. Of, well, I feel like every episode of Quest Love Supreme is a special episode, so I don't want to make, make it like the, the Meredith Baxter Bernie episode of. <laughs> a special Meredith Baxter Bernie episode of Quest Love Supreme. Um, we have, though, like one of my freaking heroes, like one of my rhyming heroes, a, 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 a cultural icon in the world of music. Not, I mean, above hip hop, above, I mean, music. Just a, a, for me, like one of the illest writers, poets, MCs. As an MC, to me, he has the best opening lines. In yes, rap. History. Yes, we'll talk more about. But we will. Yeah, like I tell MCs all the time, you have like four bars to get my attention, but he kind of made it even worse because it's like comes okay, in the door. Yeah, you only got one bar, so right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Which, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Prodigy of yo, Mob yo, Deep. Yo 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 yo. Oh. What up though? In addition, we have his co-conspirator. Uh, now, what makes it great is that our special guest. Kathy's kind of family to uh, some of us Questlove Supremers that have started on the OK Player boards. She's my favorite Lauren Hill stand of all time. <laughs> right off the gate, man. Well, I mean, that's how you came to my attention. I was like, who? I mean, before the day of social media, I mean, OK Player was like the original Twitter. That was the original. That shit was gladiator school, man. Yeah. It was. It, it was like, gladiator school. We, I feel like we pioneered the social media game before social media was a thing. Nah, for real. And uh, I just knew that this person was standing, <laughs> taking Lauren Hill stands to the next level. That's how you got my attention. But, I mean, you blossomed to your own as a writer. I mean, you've written Thank for you. a lot of periodicals and, and from BT.com uh, to... I mean, all billboard. the way to pitchfork, billboard, Stone, pitchfork, pitchfork etc. The P word, pitchfork. Yeah. Wow, that's 
But you've also collaborated with Prodigy on on uh, his book. Yes, yes. The proper title is Commissary Kitchen: My Infamous Prison Cookbook. Is this the first book you worked on, or N- no? But legally, I can say this is the first <laughs> book I've worked on. Ghostwriter. Ghost I see. Well, welcome Thank both you. of you to Questlove Supreme. Yep. I I gotta say, Prodigy, that I'm I'm really not big on hip hop autobiographies. Actually, haven't read one myself. I mean, there's a lot of books that have been written by hip hop luminaries, but I gotta say, none. You said you're not a fan of hip hop autobiographies, yet you wrote one. <laughs> no, I know that, but I'm just saying that it's usually for me. Like most people that are in the genre, really don't open up as much. It's almost like a moment of their childhood, and then they came to music, and then, and then we I was got platinum. here. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah. It's, it really doesn't really doesn't let you like inside of like the mechanics of what makes them work as a person. Like, you know them as a personality. Like there's really not much you learn from the DMX book or this Snoop book or like those things. So, but I'm just saying that, or even the Ghostface book, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which exactly like, this is more of a comedy book to you than like a life story book. But, um, I guess that's read it like three years ago. Like is, yeah, it's probably. a gripping ass story, man. It, Thank you. Thank we listened you. to the audiobook on tour. Like we ran, we had to do like a long tour run, and we had the audiobook, and that got us through the whole tour. That's like that shit was crazy. That's what's up, man. Yeah. So, Prodigy. Um, I'm not gonna say. Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> but please do, because I'm like all up in this. You know, I'm. But actually, my this, this is this is a rarity. Yeah. My, my favorite part of a Prodigy story is actually his beginnings. Yep. I know we all like to, you know, no, no, get to the real. good part. But, I mean, you you come from a lineage that I didn't know. We have something in common. We're both products of doo-wop. I I won't say a dynasty, but, I mean, you know, you grew up actually with two doo-wop parents. Yeah, my mother and my father, yeah. Yeah. Who was your father? Bud Johnson. He, you know, uh, my grandfather's name is Bud Johnson also, but my father's Bud Johnson. He was in a group called The Chanters. Now your grandfather was a, a a jazz musician. Yeah, as well, yeah, right? that Bud Johnson Senior, he uh he was a you know big into jazz and like uh big band, like him and Quincy started a big band together like with Dizzy Gillespie and right. a bunch of different people. Man, like my grandfather used to have all these jazz OGs coming to the crib when I was a little kid, so I used to be in the crib and Dizzy used to make his, the, the, his face the puffy right. for me and all yeah. that like. Yeah. That was crazy growing up around all that because I didn't realize what was happening until I got older and think back about it. Like, oh wow, that's I was a, my grandfather had me around all them jazz greats. Like, you know what I mean? But I, I I didn't really get to appreciate his style of music until I got older. You know what I mean? I, it wasn't I just didn't get it when I was a kid. Like, but you know to ask what you, mean? at what point in your life did it click? Like, I was around. I don't think some... no one ever gets it when. Like your parents' music when you're a kid, and only when you're older. But right, but at, yeah. is it high school? Is it like I'm not even understanding um, until I'm probably like probably like yeah in high school when uh when I first started making beats, um then I understood like the power of my grandfather's music because we would sample a lot of jazz records, you know what I mean? And he left me like his collection, his jazz record collection, and we made a lot of the uh, the first album, Infamous. And uh, Juvenile Hell, the from songs that we the did collections? produce. Yeah, from my grandfather's uh, records. 
Like, See, um, Shook Ones was made, actually. Yeah, I was going to say the Herbie my, Hancock record. Yeah, that was my from... grandfather's record. Damn. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, once we got to that point, we was like, actually researching the records and like using certain samples and we, we was like oh just i understood the power of the jazz music and and i started listening to it like more in depth and paying attention to it then i started to you know appreciate what did he, he what take he you to see any of his shows when you were younger and hell yeah man i remember being at so many shows but once one in particular that stand out a lot is at the blue note my grandfather used to perform there uh-huh. and um i used to sit at the bar with my pops and I used to think I was drinking, you know what I mean? My pops would be ordering a real drink, and he would order me like a 7-Up with the cherry, cherry syrup. syrup. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, same thing. <laughs> I'd be sitting at the bar drinking like <laughs> right. a little kid, like you know what I mean, at the bar. So I got memories like that of my grandfather performing while me and my pops sitting at the bar watching him. And, um, yeah, you know, just different different shows and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, man, I was I would definitely feel blessed that got it. I got a chance to see him perform. You know what I mean? I remember that clearly. Well, that, too. that even makes it more special because I know earlier you told me that you're about to do a residency at Blue Note. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy being in there. We did the first show last month. Okay. And it's crazy being in there because I just it places like it feels small because you know when you're a little kid everything seems bigger. Big, than, like, right. You know what I mean? So now I'm in there. I'm like, damn, this is smaller than my memories. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's so surreal being in there and performing in it because I just remember my grandfather doing it. So it's crazy how you know things turn around, you know, come full circle. Was he a horn player? Or? Yeah, clarinet and tenor saxophone. Okay. But, and even before that, uh, I think your great grandfather started Morehouse. Was yeah, my my great. I think he was like three times great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> like. Uh, Yo, you know how lucky you are to even know firsthand, man. Like, like I just found out who my greats were like two weeks ago. <laughs> wow. Seriously, my moms, man. But like the fact that you know the history of your great, great, great. My mother, she did the gene- genealogy. Okay, and you know she researched, and we have also some other family members that did the same thing and researched, and we we found our whole family. Like you know what I mean. Plus, we got a lot. My my. My grandmother on my mother's side, she keeps a lot of family photos and just history and stuff. So we were able to like put pieces together, connect dots, like you know what I mean. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, man. I learned a lot about my family while I was locked up. My moms used to write me and tell me, "Use this in your book. Put this in your book. This is important." You know what I mean? Right. Or, <clears throat> so, um, and your mother was a member of the Crystals. Yeah. Yep. Um, my mom was like walking down the street somewhere. I don't know, I don't know if it was Queens or whatever, wherever she was at. And somebody stopped her and was like, hey, can you sing? And she was like, no. <laughs> really? And they was like, you sure? We need an extra member for this group because one of the members had dropped out. Right. So they convinced her to do it. She was only 18. They convinced her to do it. And she became a part of the group and went right on tour. You know what I mean? So it was, it was kind of crazy how she so got in the mid-60s, she was a... Wow. <clears throat> yeah. It was just like random. Like somebody just, she just so happened to be walking down the street and they stopped her like, because I guess, you know, my mother, she was very pretty, like with light eyes. So they. She had the look. Yeah. <laughs> so they stopped her like, yo, can you sing? We want, we need you in this group. Come on. And are y'all like a generational New York family? Like, is that where yeah, your my, people? My whole family's from Southside Jamaica, Queens. And before that, they come from like Texas and Virginia. You know what I mean? Uh, 
Yeah, the crystals are for like our listeners. Um, I I would always say that, like I grew up in an oldies doo-wop family, but similar to like parents today, like I'll say like Kamal from the Roots, my keyboard player, tricked his kids into thinking like Michael Jackson was brand new. You know, as a parent, you be trying to trick your kids into like, <laughs> you know, like or That's even good. like my production manager. Uh, uh, like his sons think that like Eric being rock him is new. Wow. Uh, even uh, Kirk, my guitar player, would play Slick Rick so much for his son that his son actually like the first time he, he ever had to reprimand his son about a school project. And I heard these words. He's like, "Son, you can't bite someone else's rhymes." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I guess in, in kindergarten, oh, Kirk wow. someone was supposed to do a writing assignment. You said slick. I thought that was gonna go somewhere. So <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were about to tell him lick the balls. Right, right. Like, yeah. Something crazy. <laughs> no, no. He, he he said that. Uh, he he took like plagiarized like some of a children's story and oh, made wow. it like it was his own okay. own joint. But like, just I'm just fascinated how. Parents will trick you into thinking that that's your contemporary music. So I grew up just with, you know, an oldies doo-wop dad that would always play, like, the Crystals, Harvey and the Moon Glows, like, all those groups. So, like, you know, I grew up thinking, like, He's a Rebel was, like, some new shit when I came. <laughs> like, I had the 45 at home. So, that's it. yeah, I, I, was, I was surprised to find that out. So... Like in the beginning, did you did you have any designs of being an entertainer? Were you just like observing it and just like, oh, that's their shit? And yeah, um, nah. In the beginning, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do until I turned like man, maybe like twelve, thirteen, and I first heard. I think it was when I first heard, you know, LL Cool J and uh, Run DMC, the Suck MCs and Rock the Bells. Mm-hmm. When I heard those songs, that just changed everything in my life. You know what I mean? That made me. I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. This is this is what I like. I used to play the songs for my mother. Like, yo, mom, check this out. You know what I mean? I used to play a, uh, you know, the paid in full. Matter of fact, I used to say Rock Kim's rhymes to my mom's, act like I wrote it, <laughs> and she'd be like, "Oh, did you, you always have this deep deadpan voice as a kid? Because <laughs> like you are Rock Kim's like vocal doppelganger. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's just that's just my voice. Yeah, hell yeah. So, um. I used to say I used to say rock and roll to my mom. She used to be like, "Oh my God, you're really good." And I used to be like, "I ain't say nothing to her." I used to be like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm rap, mom, I'm rap." <laughs> but I, I first got turned on to hip hop music when I was like 12, 13. Before that, um, you know, like like you said, it was a lot of it was a lot of doo wop in the crib, like you know, um, soul music. You know what I'm saying? A lot of church. Church music, you know what I mean. You were born. Was it? Were you born in Long Island or? I was born in Hempstead. Yeah, Long okay. Island. Yep. I know that Chuck D and Flav always talk about Hempstead, and they, they Chuck D and Flav Eddie from the town right next to me in Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Yeah. Roosevelt. Okay. You know what I mean, that's okay. right next to Hempstead. So we all like was they, Hempstead EPMD. I know that someone nah, rhymes about Hempstead. EPMD was uh, Brentwood. It okay. was from Brentwood. Hempstead. You remember Son of Berserk? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Son of Berserk was from Hempstead. Yes. <laughs> you know Wait, I love that you just brought up. Like for me, Son of Berserk. I feel like I'm the only person that got that record and worshipped the shit out of it. Like I used to see, I used to go outside to the store and Son of Berserk be outside. 
Word. He's like, yo, son, what up, kid? Like, With we, that old man voice. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> we was like the little dudes using the studio. There's a famous studio in, in Hempstead that Public Enemy started in. Son of a Zero. Yeah, they would do their pre-production out there. It was called 510. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we all started. Like, Buster would be out there sometimes. Yeah. So that's where we all started. So everybody used to be over there. Like, and we used to see everybody over there. Um, but yeah, man, like Hempstead, uh, I think Method Man from Hempstead. He's okay. from Terrace, Terrace Ave. You know what I mean? Um, trying to think of who else from out there. Uh, Rock Marcy. Okay. from Hempstead, you know? Um, those are the few that I can remember at okay. the top, man. So, like, what eventually brought you to the the city, to Queens? Um, when I turned, like, 11, 12, my mom's moved to Left Rack. She moved to Left Rack City. Um, her and my pops had split up because my pops had did some crazy shit. My pops was wild, man. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he had kidnapped me, took me to Detroit. We was living in Detroit for a minute, balling out of control. He was working in the stock market. Oh, wow. Doing some crazy shit. And um, When did you live in Detroit? Man, this is like early 80s. When Scarface, what year did Scarface come out? 83. 83. Yeah, because my pops took me to the <laughs> Wait, movie. Wait, why do we? <laughs> I remember that. What was the family view? <laughs> 83. My pops took me to the movies in Detroit when at the premiere when Scarface first came out. So that's when I was out there in 83. Oh, Wait, you were nine? I was nine, yeah. So so the lyric, your uh, pop taught you how to shoot when you were seven, that was real. That really Oh, yeah, my that. pop, man. He was off the hook, man. That 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 boy is something else. <laughs> he, was, he was something else, man. Was he a musician as well? or like? Yeah, he, he was a singer. You know what I mean? Um, like I said, he had that group, the Chanters, doo-wop group. Right. They had a couple of dope songs, you know what I mean? Um, but my, my father's things was computers, like from the early 80s. He... I remember being like probably five, six years old. My father was working on Macintosh writing programs. You know what I'm saying? Really? Um, he was r- really, really dope with it. Um, I think it's a school called TCI. I think it's called TCI. Mm-hmm. Um, my father went there, and he actually got so good, he became a, like a professor there. He started teaching. He was in the commercials and all that Like after a while. He got really nice with it. And, um, you know, that's what he was into, computers, heroin, Alcohol, karate. My father had a, a dojo on Jamaica Avenue. You know what I mean? So he used to teach karate. You just said that combo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Computers, karate. Can we back that up? <laughs> he was off the hook. He was off the hook. Karate and computer. Yeah. It's crazy. Professor, yeah. pimp. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. It's very crazy, man. My pop's life was wow. It was, it was wild. Um, that was his thing. He loved computers and he loved fighting and just doing wild shit. He was crazy, man. <laughs> and I know that you you have a closeness with uh, your grandmother as well. That she was in the arts. Yeah, yeah. My grand my grandmother was ill. She was uh she was one of the first cotton club dancers when they first opened a cotton club way back. And uh, you know she was friends with Lena Horn. Lena Horn used to dance there early before she became famous. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and that's how my grandmother met my grandfather. Because my grandfather used to play in the band at the Cotton Club. So that's how they met. And, um, you know, after my grandmother started a dance school business in the basement of her crib on the God Brewer. And she started with, like, five students. You know what I mean? And it just grew and grew over the years until to the point where she started renting the building. And then it grew to the point where she actually bought her own commercial building in Queens. She was, like, the first black woman to own a commercial space in Queens. So, 
you know, it was a dance school business. You right. You know what I mean? She was, that was her thing, dancing. So a lot of her students, man, she had some famous students that she, uh, that she raised. Like Ben Vereen is one of, she raised oh, Ben Vereen. Like, you know what okay. I mean? Okay. And uh, he used to, you know, be at he the house to... all the time. Like, you know what I mean? And anytime he had something going on, we used to watch it in the crib. I done seen Roots thousands of times. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Ben's like, on TV! Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, everybody get together. Watch Ben. Ben is on. Um, you know, Michael Peters, he was a famous choreographer. For oh, Michael that Jackson's was one of my father's um, best friends. Yeah. Yes. So Michael Peters was... That's my grandmother's... That was one of my grandma's students. Shut up. Yeah. Damn, he did so much shit. He did beat it. He Thrill, did dancing thriller. on the ceiling. Yeah, he did yeah. all those. So, like, that was, like, events, same thing, like, with Ben Vereen. Matter of fact, Mike, Mike, Michael something. Peters is the... In the the beat knife knife yeah. battle, yeah. he's the one in all yeah. white. All word. That's, 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 yeah, that's yeah. Michael Peters. He's the one that got their hands tied up. They yeah, fighting yeah, with yeah. the knife. When I was six, my dad introduced me to him, and I was like, "But you can't dance better than Michael Jackson." And he walked away with me with so much attitude, like, "Child, well." Like, like, um, I remember when I was a little kid, like we used to fly to Cali because a lot of her students live in Cali and whatnot. Um, so we used to fly to Cali and visit them, and she used to take care of some business. And Michael Peters used to take me to Universal Studios all the time. That was my favorite place when I was a little kid. I used to be like, let's go again. Oh, with the let's go again. Let's the... go again. Yeah. I've been there like 100 times when I was a kid. That was my favorite shit. Like, you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, so this is my grand. This is like my grandmother's life. She, she uh, you know, this is her, her thing in the dance world. And she got a lot of choreogra- choreographers and... She uh, she helped out a lot of people in, as far as that in that world. So I I grew up a lot around her concerts. She would do these concerts every year at Lincoln Center, at the Apollo, at uh, Carnegie Hall. You know, um, every year she would do like a big concert. And um, so you were a, a backstage kid. Yeah, me and my cousins would be backstage, wilding, looking at the girls getting dressed. In the oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's world. different than my backstage. <laughs> I just watch old old ass dudes, you know, <laughs> smoke reefer in the. Whoa, yo! <clears throat> but he um, had a better backstage experience. Yeah, especially at my grandmother's dance school. She, like hundreds, all the Jones be there. Hundreds of girls from Queens. Like that right. was like that was, that was man. I, I used to love that place when I was a little kid. Man, we had so much fun running around Jamaica Avenue and you know just having fun, man, with all, all the girls that there. It was crazy, crazy growing up. Like you know what I mean. So. When when did you officially you you moved to Queens when, and so I moved to Queens well uh, after Detroit or yeah it had to be like eighty four okay like eighty four eighty five I moved to Left Rack with my mom's she got divorced from my pops after he kidnapped me and she was tight she was like man I ain't doing this shit no more man <laughs> wait how did she find you she see my pops had actually took me on a robbery where he went and robbed a jewelry store when I was in the <laughs> car you know what I'm saying. <laughs> In a, in a, Wait a minute! I need a sermon for that shit. <laughs> All right. Wow! And that shit pissed my moms off because you know what I mean. We got into a high speed chase think? with no way. Nassau County police is chasing us, and he finally pulls over because he realized you know I'm in the car. He <laughs> he jumps in the car and throws a big ass bag of jewelry in my hand. I'm like this whole nose jewelry and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's flying through Hempstead like it was out in Long Island. And, you know, finally he pulls over. You know, I remember the cop put me in the back. And my, my pop's hand was locked up behind his back. I remember holding my pop's hand. While his really? Hand, yeah, they had me in the back seat with him. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, I was too young to even Process, compute right? what the fuck was happening. Um, get to the precinct. 
police gave me a soda. I remember sitting there drinking the soda. My mom's came to get me, and I remember her arguing with my pops, flipping on him, like, and then my pops kidnapped me right after that. You know what I mean? Because she was like, oh, I can't be with you no more. So he took me to Detroit, and um, my mom found out where I was at. She threatened to have, you know, call the cops on them. So he, he sent me back or whatever with my mom's. Then we moved to Left Rack. And then uh, I went to school in Left Rack. We went, I went to junior high school in Left Rack. So you went to Halsey, right across the street from Long Island. You know, right across the street from the LIE. Mm-hmm. You got to cross the LIE to get over to the high school. Now, I'll, I'll say that the, the picture that I always think of when I think of Queens is more or less the picture that you guys painted on the infamous. Dang. But was it always like that? Like when you first got to to Queens, was it that? Because you paint a dark ass. ass. (laughs) (laughs) What was Queens like? I mean, that this is when crack first came out. When I moved to Left Rack, crack just hit the street. It was brand new. You know what I'm saying? I'm in junior high school. I'm 12 years old. All the little kids my age were selling crack in the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? I used to go to school and see these little niggas with rope chains and levers and Air Max. I'm like, what the fuck is these niggas doing? Like, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, these little kids, like, you know what I'm saying? With big jewelry on, looking like Eric B and Rakim on the cover of their album. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I started getting cool with people out there and they started telling me what they doing. You know what I mean? And um, Left Rack was... Big time for, like, selling crack. Like, it's well known that Left Rack City was, like, big, big, big time crack neighborhood. Like, you know what I mean? And Left Rack is his proper name? Left Rack, yeah. Okay. Because I always, I think when uh, Tragedy, oh, well. right, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I thought that was a Noriega title y'all made up. Okay. You know what I mean? They used to, they call it Left Rack Iraq. That's what, that's what Nori okay. say. He'd be okay. like, Left Rack is Iraq. Queensbridge is Kuwait. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. But, uh, yeah, so Left Rack. That's how I was out there. Um, this is when crack first hit. So, you know, all my friends I'm going to junior high school, they selling crack. And, you know, once I got cool with them and they told me what they was doing, I was like, man, you know, let me try my hand at that. I want some, I want a chain too. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I want to look fly like y'all need. Right. So I hooked up with one of my homies from school. He gave me a few vows. He was like, all right, start with this. You know what I'm saying? If you could do this off, good. Come back, I'll give you some more. Like, you know what I mean? So I went out. I'm 12 years old. I'm looking like I'm eight. When I was 12, I looked like I was eight, yo. So yeah, you, you definitely found the fountain of youth, man. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't even outside. think you're in your 30s or 40s now. Like I go outside with, with, with the little cracks on me and whatnot, and I'm super paranoid. I never sold a crack in my life. You know right. what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm nervous. Motherfuckers walking up to me like, yo, you guys? I'm like. I don't know. It's like that scene from Paid in Full. Right. Remember when fucking A was like scared when he first saw the crack? Mm-hmm. Just like that. I was fucking paranoid, yo. So anyway, I think I saw one vow and the police ran up on me. Damn. You know what Your I'm saying? Your first time? First time. Damn. Police ran up on me. They grabbed me. Yo, what the fuck you doing out here? Uh, found the cracks. They was like, how the fuck? How old are you? I'm like, I'm 12. They're like, what the fuck? You look like a little kid. Like, you look like a real little kid. Like, go home, man. Fuck you doing out here? And he just took the crack and sent me home. So now Uh-oh. I got to explain to this nigga what happened with the cracks. Ah, crap. You know what I'm saying? He like, yo, what happened? I'm like, yo, police just took it and they let me go. He like, yeah, now you got to give me that bread, son. So we have a scrap, you know what I'm saying, at school. He want a scrap. I lost. You know what I'm saying? I was right. take, I'm taking my jacket off. He snuffed me. 
Boom. I'm like, oh, shit. So yeah. these girls break it up. Some girls I knew from the hood broke it up. Like, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Yeah. You know <laughs> so anyway, I, I ain't fuck with the cracks no more. Why is this For a minute, for a minute. And, um, you know, I just... I just was just cool with everybody after that. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't trying to, you know, really sell no drugs and get caught. That was too much for me. Like, you know what I'm saying? And then um, once I went to high school and uh, I met Hav. So, um, yeah, Hav brought me out to Queensbridge when I first, you know, uh, went to high school, when I first met him. And um, he introduced me to that whole world. It was just different. Now, mind you, when I was, when I was a kid, my mother, you know, my mother her whole life, she worked for the housing authority. Mm-hmm. So she worked in all the projects in New York, Brooklyn, Harlem, and you know what I mean, Queens. And Queensbridge was one of the projects that she worked in. Her job was she would get people approved for their apartments. You know what I mean? So they come to her to apply for Right. Her. She worked in the office on the hill in Queensbridge, and, you know, people got to come to her, and she decide whether— Assign them. You know what I'm saying? If they make enough money to live in the projects or, you know, subsidize rent or whatever, how that works. Everybody wanted to be her friend. Yeah. So— <laughs> She worked in Queensbridge when I was a little kid. You know what okay. I'm saying? And I used to go with her to work in the summertime. This is before I met Hav and all that. And uh, I went to Reese Day Camp. Like when my mom was at work, she would drop me at day camp on the hill called Reese. So I I was already out there for a few years when I was a little kid. I met a bunch of people. And it just so happened that years later, you know, when, once I moved to left, I went to high school in, in the city. Met Hav. Now I'm back. In Queensbridge, now I'm older now, and I'm seeing people I remember when I was a kid from day from day camp and all that. Right, but um, it was just being back out there and just seeing, you know how Queensbridge is like a, just a whole other world, like the fashion, the slang, like you know just everything is just different. Okay, can you explain something to our listeners? Done. And by our listeners, by our listeners, I mean me. What is the Dunn language, and what is the genesis of the Dunn language? What's that like, Dun Dunny? Like so, Dunn, Dun, Dun, the Dunn language. That's like saying we. we like say, I know cats in Sweden that talk the Dunn. Like <laughs> after Mob Deep shit came out, yo, what up, Dunn? And so, I was like, what are y'all talking about? It's so, a th. One of our homies, yeah, one of our homies from Queensbridge. His name is Bumpy. Uh, he got like a speech impediment. He speak with like a lisp a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you know, that's where it comes from. We call each other son. Everybody right. be like, yo, what up, son? What up, son? And when Bumpy say it, he be like, what up, thank? What up, thank? So, we, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yo. <laughs> we have Bumpy to thank. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> After Whoa. 25 years, I've been wondering. So it's so T-H-U-N. Yeah, yeah, it's T-H-U-N. But I had short, when I write my rhymes, I try to like, I write shorthand. I try to write short as possible. So right. I used to write D-U-N just to write it real quick and get it out of the way. You know what I'm saying? So it's like two different spellings when I do it. But whatever. Um, that's where it started, with Bumpy. You know what I'm saying? And we just started calling shout it out to the Bumpy. Dunn yeah. language. He created the Dunn language. That's what we, you know what I mean? We thank you. Yeah, shout out to Bump, man. But yeah, once I got out there, and I, I just seen how that world was in Queensbridge. And I remember being out there as a kid. When I was out there, it was like super early 80s. Like probably the Juice Crew was popping like back right. then. Right, was, was any running with I, I was Marley Mall or those guys or... I was too young back in the days, you know what I'm saying, when I was in day camp, but I remember how they used to dress. They used to have the shell top, they used to have the Pumas with the, you know, the tall one suits, mm-hmm. the Kango. I remember seeing people dressed like that when I was a kid, so I know that was like probably that Juice Crew era. And then when I came back out there later on, 
you know, it was it was new things happening. You know what I'm saying? It was like that era was starting to change. You know what I'm saying? Things were starting to change. And, um, you know, I was like right smack dab in the middle of it, man. And, um, you know, it was just interesting to see being from Hempstead and going to school in Manhattan, you know, where I may have at. We went to high school with everybody from New York, different boroughs, Brooklyn, the Bronx, you know, Manhattan, Queens. They they, they was from everywhere in mm-hmm. our school, art and design, you know what I mean? So we had friends with people from all over, East Borough. So we used to hang out, you know, we used to party in the Bronx, up by Yankee Stadium and Sheridan. We used to, you know, hang out in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy, Marcy, Tompkins, Sumner, you know what I mean? We used to... We was out there, you know what I'm saying? Hempstead. So was there was there ever any hem- hesitation whatsoever? Because I know if you go to a different part of town that you're not necessarily from, it could be yeah. a caution thing, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, you got to be careful, man. I mean, look, growing up, you know what I'm saying? This, this, is, this is where things change for me a little bit, all right? My first year of high school, um, there was this gang called the Decepticons. You know what I'm saying? And I used to come to school in the morning, and uh, I used to see people coming to school, my friends coming to school with big-ass cuts going across their face, their arms, hands, like buck 50s, their faces spliced open, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what the fuck happened to you, son? They're like, yo, the Decepticons just caught us in the train station. You know, they, I'm like, well, I'm like, yo, the niggas ain't cutting me like that, dog. I'm buying a gun right now. I dare nigga try to cut me like that. Like these niggas was twisted. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that kind of it kind of forced me into to position where I was like, I'm defense to protect myself. Like you know what I'm saying? Right. So that's when I bought my first gun because of that. You know what I'm saying? Because I wasn't gonna let nobody cut me in the face like that. You know what I'm saying? And they was running around doing this on a daily. Like this is what they was doing. Like they was from Brooklyn. Like you know what I mean? It was just a gang. They was called Decepticons. They had a female version called the Decepticons. They had another gang called the Low Lives. Low Lives. They had yeah. another gang called uh, I can't think of it right now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this was, this was like this gang culture from Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we had to deal with that. You know, because after school they would come up to different schools and terrorize motherfuckers, robbing motherfuckers. Like you know what I'm saying? So it forced me and my little tight friends yeah. to be on some bullshit. It forced us to be on some bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's where the bullshit started a little bit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. That's like fresh meat. Like you know what I'm saying? And then um, you know, also just growing up in Hempstead, you know, that's like it's a hood. That's a hood out there. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's a residential area, they got houses, it look nice, but that's the hood out so there. So Hempstead wasn't the the cozy part of Long Island that Nah, Hempstead. Because when I think of Long Island, I think of like, oh, that's a vacation spot or yeah, nah, nah. You, you, uh, <laughs> Bill's that's where I grew up. <laughs> Where'd you grow? You grew up in Hempstead, Bill? No, I grew up a few miles north of Hempstead, but oh, okay, it's a little, diff- <laughs> little different. Where I'm from. Yeah, this is this is part where you cross the track. As soon as you cross the track, you call it track side. Right. As soon as you cross that track, it's over. Oh, you in the hood, <laughs> sir? You know I think Serge explained yeah. that on his episode. Yeah. That yeah, it was. You know, I had a lot of friends out there. We did a lot of things, and you know. It put me on some shit mentally, you know what I'm saying? Just and my my pops already had me on some shit mentally. But then going to school in Manhattan, you know that really kind of changed me because I started hanging out in all the different boroughs. I, was, I had friends from different boroughs, and uh, we used to deal with this type of shit. What school did you go to? Art and design in Manhattan. Sorry. The fame school. 
No, that's that's what. That's all right. Nah, that's that's uh. Laguardia. Laguardia. Yeah. So there's another. Art and design. My, my mother went to to that school. She graduated. From oh, school. okay. Yeah. So what did you and Havoc both go to the school for? Because so Hav was a grade ahead of me. He was there for architecture. He was dope. He used to build like scale models of like. You know, apartment complexes or whatever building, like you know what I mean. He could do that shit nice. I went to school there because this is all most of my friends was from Left Rack. You know, we used to sit around in the summertime. Where you going to high school, son? He's like, oh, we going to Edison. Oh, I'm going to this one. And most of my friends was like, yo, we going to Art Design. So I was like, fuck, I'm going there too. Then I'm going wherever y'all niggas is going. Right. So that's the only reason I wanted to go there. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really have. I didn't think that I had any art skills. Like, you know what I'm saying? I had to take a test to get into school. That's what I thought. You okay. had to bring a portfolio up. So I was like, all right, how, what am I going to do? How the fuck am I going to get into school? I'm going to work my way into school somehow. So I thought, and I was like, oh, all right. I'm a, there's, this, there's this group called the Shirt Kings. they like clothing designers. In, oh, the airbrushing. Yeah, and airbrushing in the Coliseum in Queens. So, you know, I grew up with them, like, I grew up as a little kid on Jamaica Avenue, like, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. they know me all my life, like, you know what I mean? So I was like, light bulb, I'm going to just copy, I'm going to bite the Shirt Kings. I'm sure these <laughs> I'm sure these motherfuckers in art and design, they never seen no shit like that before, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I just got me some shirts. I got me some markers, and, uh, some paint, whatever, and I just drew some graffiti on the shit, and I made a portfolio, brought it to school, and they was like, oh, they liked it, and I got in, I got into school with that shit. I was shocked. I was like, oh, shit, that shit worked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Word. This is crazy hearing this. This is That's your story. Right. No, it was Tariq's story. Right. Oh, word. Because Tariq was was art was an art design student. So he used to make like crazy medallions and those Yo Baby Yo Mickey Mouse yeah, <laughs> t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, man. Shit mad like creative, that. Mad creative, mad creative. Yeah. But, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I, I got a love for being creative by mm-hmm. being at that school. Like, you know what I'm saying? I got a love for photography because we had photography class there. A love for, you know, just design and shit and seeing what Hav used to do with the architecture. It just, you know, opened my mind to something new. You know, um... So how did y'all, how did you guys meet? You met in high school? Yeah, we met. My first year of high school, in my photography class was a kid named Black from the Bronx. And we got real cool, kicking it every day in class. And one day he was like, yo, man, he was like, I used to wear mad jewelry. Like, I used to have, I thought I was Slick Rick, dog. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I used to have hands full of rings, mad chains and shit. Still, I was retarded when I was in school. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's another reason why I bought the gun, too, because I'm like, I'm a target with all this shit on. Yeah, I was going to say, like, like, you didn't feel, like, defenseless. I, I, and- I, was, I was bugged out as a kid, yo. You know what I'm saying? I didn't really care too much. So, you know, um, when I met Half, it was because of my man Black from the Bronx photography class. He was like, yo, man, you know, you should meet my, my one of my friends. His name Havoc. Y'all both rap. Y'all both about the same height. You know, um, I'm going to introduce you to him at the school. Mm-hmm. So little did I know that these niggas were setting me up to rob me. Oh. Wait, what? Oh. Havoc. Wait, this is an arranged marriage that was <laughs> arranged robbery? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> Yo, this is the greatest story I've ever heard Plot in my twist. life. It's like the greatest life ever. They, they were setting me up that day. They were, it was like a whole setup. They was going to rob me. You know what I'm saying? And whatever. 
I ain't find this out till later. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like later when you're on a proposal, bro, like, oh, yo, you remember when we first met? <laughs> yeah, maybe like a year or two later. They came and they was like, yo, remember that time? We was like, yo, we was going to rob you that day, son. But, you know, you was cool, so we was like, nah, I don't rob him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's our story, Steve. <laughs> Word, that's real shit, too, man. You know what I'm saying? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're listening to Questlove Supreme. Our guests this week are Prodigy of Mob Deep and Kathy Yandley, journalist and co-author of Prodigy's latest book, Commissary Kitchen, my infamous prison cookbook. And uh, we got some messages from our sponsors. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, so <laughs> when you you're telling me that initially your meeting was a setup, you came in the name of oh we should be in a group together. Yeah, but- I, I was like I'm cool with Black. We cool. King, he seemed like a cool dude. He said he wanted to introduce me to somebody that rapped too. We about the same height. He was like, yo, y'all should make a group. I'm gonna introduce you to him after school. I'm like, I right, bet. So after school, you go outside, and there's a fight right here in front of the school. So I'm like. We looking at the fight, and my man Black is like, "That's that's havoc right there, fighting. He fighting that kid. So have I seen that? He was fighting some kid. Kid actually tried to stab him, missed missed him, hit his like leather jacket, and like motherfuckers dropped niggas like got the knife out of his hand, had beat him up, and everybody lifted Hav up in the air like he just like he just <laughs> like hit the, the touchdown, yeah. Yeah, like he just hit the winning game touchdown. Havoc, <laughs> boom! They was, they was jumping with him in the air like this. I swear to God, all the way to the train station after the fight. Damn, and they was calling him Kiwi because that was like his name, like his name is Kiwan. Right. So his like nickname in school was like Kiwi. They used to call him Kiwi, and they used to call me Peewee. You know what I'm saying? Because I was mad small, like you know what I'm saying. That would have been a better group name, Kiwi <laughs> and Peewee. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. We following him to the train station. I'm like, this is crazy. He's like, all right. So after they put him down, we get on the train. We meet each other. So I'm like, yo, where we going? He's like, we're going to Ravenswood. I'm like, Ravenswood? I'm like, my grandmother from Ravenswood. My mother's mother. Right. You know what I mean? She had moved from South Jamaica Projects to Ravenswood like some time ago. He was like, a word? He's like, my grandmother from Ravenswood. So both our grandmothers lived in Ravenswood. So right there, that was like... We had a connection, like, you know what I'm saying? Right. So we went to his, you know, his crib in Ravenswood, then we chilled, and we went to Queensbridge, walking around chilling, and that was it. We just got cool that day, you know what I'm saying? And we started making songs immediately, and um, we just clicked immediately. We just clicked, you know what I mean? We became really close friends and getting into mad trouble together and just doing all this dope music, and everything was just, like, so he was making beats. He knew how to make beats immediately, or nah, nah. Um, I actually taught half how to how to uh, make beats, how to sample. And wait, you were use... the initial yeah, hell yeah. beat person. Yeah. What were you using? <laughs> uh, EPS sixteen plus, Sonic. yeah. Tascam, four track, cassette, four track yep. shit, recorded shit. Like you know what I'm saying? We had the little mix board. Um, yeah, so. After I met Hav, you know what I mean, and we started getting real cool, and we started being like, all right, this is, this is we got something. You know what I'm saying? We we kind of look good together. We the same height. We got the same <laughs> style, like, you know what I mean? And it's like uh, we making these dope, we made like 50 songs immediately. We made like 50 songs when we first met. In a week or in a month? Yeah, in about, or... about a couple weeks, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, And, uh, you know, right after that, um. You know, we just realized, like, damn, we got something here. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we just started pushing forward with it. Like, man, you know what? Fuck school. Let's do this. You was know that what I'm before uh, you did the um, the Too Young record? On Nah, this is, this is after I did that. So okay. I did the Too Young record while I was in junior high school. Oh, wow. Wait, um, on the Boys in the Hood soundtrack? Right? Yeah. The High Five joint. That was him. As yeah. time wait, 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 passes. Wait, 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 what? I'm wait. with the Swiftness, G. See, this, yeah. is, this is why I wrote a book, man. It's so much, it's like, it's so much shit from different angles. Like, yeah, that was him. But the EPA won't listen to what, what I, I have to say. say. <laughs> wait, what? Yeah, that's <laughs> Yo, these two of the biggest, biggest R&B heads of all time. So the fact that, <laughs> so shit. I, when, when I was living in Left Rack, I had made a, uh, 
I, I had a, a solo career. I was like trying to be a, you know, a solo artist. My name was The Golden Child. My name was Lord T, The Golden Child. You know what I'm saying? Because my family, they call me Chaka. You know what I'm saying? With a T, but the T is silent. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The T come from Chaka. You know what I'm saying? Lord T, The Golden Child. I thought I was The Golden Child. That was my, like, my favorite movie when I was little. So anyway, I had Lord T, The Golden Child. One of my homies from Left Rack, you know, we used to you know, make some music together or whatever, whatever. But he used to send me some beats, and I used to go record them. And uh, I used to shop around. Cause my, pop, my mom's was like, yo, shop your demo around. Uh, she was like, write your lyrics out, mail it to yourself. That's the cheap man copyright. That's the copyright man. Right. Poor man copyright. Like, <laughs> so I was doing, my mom was teaching me what to do. She was like, do this, do that. Take your shit around. You know what I mean? And so we got my music to Jive uh, somehow. I don't even remember how. But Jive gave me a demo deal. And a demo deal is they Who's said. Who's the A&R there? Do you remember? Nah, I don't even remember. Was it the high five the at that time? And this is 1990, but, correct? Nah, this is like 88, 89. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I'm in job working in Battery Studio. You know, they got their own yeah. studio. Yeah. So they gave me a studio. They was like, all right, let's see what you could do. You that's, buy that, yourself? That's what a demo deal is. You <laughs> know <laughs> what I'm saying? They put you in the studio. All right, let's see what you could If you could come up with something dope within the next couple of months, we'll sign you to yeah, a real deal. deal. You know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of deal I had. So, so I, you by yourself, me by myself, with the drum machine, and you writing your rhymes, doing your own music. Nah, I I wasn't making beats at that point. Okay, I was getting beats from people, and you know what I mean, just trying whatever I could do. So uh, while I'm there, I used to I used to flirt with the girls at the front desk, like you know what I mean. A couple of girls that worked at the front desk. Yeah, you know they they was cool with me. So one day I'll go to job to go to the studio, and the girl at the front desk, her name was Kim. I remember her name because she hooked it up for me. She was like, yo, I want to bring you to the back. You need to meet somebody. They working on the soundtrack. I'm going to get you on this soundtrack. Come on. So she brought me in the back office. She was like, yo, this is this is Lil T, whatever, da, 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 da. He rap. You should get him on this song. So they was like, all right, go ahead. You know, write, write some bars. Let's see what you can come up with. And I wrote that too young. You know what I mean? And they put me on the song. So crazy, y'all. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, I was literally thinking about that song last week. All the stuff about um, about Trump, you know, uh, defunding the EPA and all that. I'm, right, right. That lyric kept coming in my head. It's you know, <laughs> crazy. crazy. Yeah, so I never knew that. Then, uh, you know, my first year of high school, um, met Hav. Still working at Battery at this time. So mm-hmm. I used to bring Hav with me. I was like, yo, I got a studio we could work at. So I used to bring Hav with me to Battery. We used to get beat. We used to like... Use recording pause mm-hmm. on the tape deck. Pause tapes. And make our own beats. And that's, we made a lot of beats like that. And, um. Were y'all going by the uh, Poetical Prophets at this time? Was that- Yeah, we still didn't figure out a name yet okay. at this time. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, Jive gave me that studio. They now I'm not supposed to be having other people in it. So, <laughs> Yo, does this story sound familiar? <laughs> Very familiar. <laughs> this, is the, this is the black version of MC <laughs> yeah. Search right here. This is so, how Third Base got started. So check this out. So now, you know, Jive was like, all right, we want to sign you after the Boys in the Hood shit and all that. And I was like, look, I got a partner now. I was like, if you want to sign me, you got to sign him. And they was like, oh, nah, we, we just want you. You know what I mean? Uh, we don't want your partner. And I was like, all right, well, I'll see you later. You walked away from that? Uh, <laughs> Damn. Oh, <yeah. laughs> That's well, loyal. Yeah, hey, I was like, man, listen. Because what we were doing, it was just a, it was just a vibe. You could just feel it. You know what I mean? You can feel the power of what 
and we just like met and just started and through our conversations and just hanging out and the music we was doing you, you could just feel like this is what it's supposed to be you know i'm not supposed to be a solo artist you know what i'm saying right did havoc know that you walked away yeah yeah he knew that because i was trying to get both of us signed the job you know what i'm saying but they was like nah so did like i mean by this time there were other groups that were of your age or i mean y'all look mad young at least on the juvenile hell record yeah y'all look young and shit so i thought y'all were in the kids group realm right so were they trying to mold y'all into that abc uh crisscross kind of bandwagon like were they trying to make y'all kids group the ill part about it is we never had anybody telling us to do anything. No NR, no ever. Like I said, they put me in that room. Like, all right, let me see what you can do. That's crazy. So nobody ever no told me. No artist development. No. Nobody ever said do this, should... do that. Nobody ever told us what so to do. So you have to teach we yourself just, all the. Yeah, we just did it. Like you know what I'm saying. We just did it, and um, you know, um, after job was like, nah, I was like, all right, we out of here, and uh, we just continued to make songs and shop our demo around, and you know. Try to get on. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that's when we met Q-Tip after a while. You know what I'm saying? All right. I'm sure you, you've told this story a gajillion times. Yeah. But can you please tell that Def Jam story? Please. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> for, for our listeners so who have not heard, this is the illest story ever. ever. Yeah. I mean, and then let, let me say something real quick, too. Okay. Let me get something clear real quick. A lot of motherfuckers, they... We read my book or they hear these stories. They be like, oh, this nigga dry snitching. Now, let me tell you something, right? There's nobody being convicted, arrested, or anything for what I'm saying. I'm saying shit with a, I'm saying shit with a, uh, what do you call it? The, the, uh, the uh, statue of limitations. Statue of limitations is done already. Right. So it's like, this is our life. Like, this is shit that happened in our life. And we, it's, it's a blessing that we're able to talk about it right now and that we made it out of certain shit. And, True indeed. You know what I mean? So when, when, when you hear people saying all this, they don't know what the fuck they talking about, dog. Like, that, that's, that shit really pisses me off. But anyway, I'm going to tell you this story. <clears throat> um, Thank you. So after the job shit, me and Hat started making mad songs and, and we took our new demo around. And what we used to do is look on the back of albums to our favorite labels. So our favorite label, of course, was Def Jam at that time. So we used to be like, all right, where's Def Jam? All right, here's the address. All right, come on, let's cut out of school. Let's take the train go down to Def Jam. So we used to go down to Def Jam with the headphones, Walkman, and we used to just stand outside the door like this and wait for the rappers to come out, you know what I mean, or whoever to come out. And uh, we seen, you know, a bunch of different rappers come out. We used to be like, yo, listen to our demo tape. And they was like, come on, man, I got time for this who shit. Watch, who, watch out, who, shorty. Who in front of you all? Who's the Amir? Who's, who's the Amir of the story? <laughs> I just started tell- on three cats last week. Now I feel bad. I'm like, yo, they're gonna be big as shit. Like, we was outside of Thirty Rock waiting for you. I'm gonna tell you, it was. I'm gonna. T- I remember clearly who it was. We'll see. But I don't got no personal shit against them. I don't care about that shit. This is like. But it definitely was the Afros. Remember the Afros? Wow. <laughs> wow. Kicking Afro <laughs> Kicking Afro Damn, yeah. Hurricane. Yeah, Hurricane. Yeah. You could have had team. Mom D. Yeah. Hurricane was like, what? Come on, watch out, shorty. You ain't got time for this shit. So I'm like, ah, word, all right, all right, whatever. So we wait outside. We wait outside. We see people coming out. Nobody would give us a listen. The Q-tip came out the building. And, you know, they was on fire at that time. That was, the, you know, Tri-Core Quest to shit. We like, oh, shit. It's Tip right here. 
yo, could you listen to our demo, son? Like, check us out, son. We from Queens, da 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 da. He like, oh, work. Let me check your shit out. Put on listen, playing him a couple songs. He took it off. He was like, come on, come inside the office with me. Damn. Brought, brought us in the office, introduced us to Chris Lighty, introduced us to, man, it was called uh, Rush Associated Labels R-E-L, yeah. at that time. You know what I mean? R-E-L, yeah. It was like a management management thing and plus the Associated Label thing. And, uh, you know, introduced us to people in the office and Tip was like, yo, these dudes are dope. Help them. You know what I'm saying? He was like, help them, get them. Do something with them. So he's like the first to really... Yeah, he's like, yo, set up... He's telling Chris, he's telling everybody in the office, yo, set up a meeting with with Russell. Set up a meeting with Leo. Get them, you know what I mean? Get these kids' music heard. They dope, yo. So after that, you know, we we had a meeting with... uh, They set up a meeting for us with Russell Simmons. So we go to the office to have a meeting with Russell. And uh, it's supposed to be at Russell Crib, which was around the corner on Broadway by McDonald's. Somewhere down that area. So um, we get to Russell Crib. Matter of fact, I had the gun on me. You know what I mean? The little one-shot derringer I had bought at school. You know what I mean? So I, ain't, I wasn't trying to get cut. Um, I had left it in the Def Jam office because I didn't want to bring a gun in Russell's house. Right. You know what I mean? I was, like, trying to be respectful. respectful. I was like, I don't bring no weapon in this crib. Let me. I was told my man in the office, hold us in the drawer for me until we get back from the meeting. So he's like, all right, put it in the drawer. Walked around the corner, went to Russell crib. Russell was a no-show. they like, oh, uh, Russell got, got caught up. Y'all going to meet with Lior instead in the office. Everyone has a Lior story. <laughs> so we like, all right, bet. So we go back to Def Jam. We meet with Lior. We play Lior our music. He, he listening. Then he stops the music. He like, I can't do nothing with y'all. We like, why? He like, how old are y'all? So we, we like 15, 16 at this time. He like, y'all, first of all, y'all look like y'all nine years old or something. <laughs> y'all cursing like sailors. Y'all talking about criminal, crazy shit. He said, I'm going to get sued. They're going to sue Def Jam for putting this on the radio and doing all this, that, and the third. Like, there's no way I could get this played on the radio. There's no way I could get this. They're going to ban y'all. <laughs> That's what he basically <laughs> told us. Like, he was like, I can't do nothing with y'all. I'm sorry. And we like. That's crazy. We like, what? We was like. What the fuck is wrong with this dude? Like, you know, he didn't understand the music. He didn't, I, I don't know, he didn't get it. He didn't like it. That's his choice, whatever. So we was like, all right, fuck it. We wasn't mad at anything. We was a little upset, like, oh, fuck this nigga. He don't know, but right. we, we didn't give a fuck. We was like, all right, on to the next label. We're going to go to it. We're going we gonna to finally find someplace. So we go downstairs, and uh, before we leave, you know, they had all these posters hanging up in, in the office in mm-hmm. REL. They had, like, the Great Adventures of Slick Rick framed. They had, like, Big Daddy Kane shit. Everybody shit framed in it. And uh, De La had just dropped uh, De La Soul is Dead. Right. So I wanted one of those posters. They had the ill De La Soul is Dead post. I wanted to hang it up in my room. You know, that was that back in the day shit. Right. Hanging shit up in your room and whatnot. So I told my man that held the gun for me in the drawer. I was like, yo, get us some posters before we bounce. You know what I'm saying? He was like, oh, all right, I'm going to hook y'all up. So he went, got us some posters. So me and Hav is at his desk. So I'm like, oh, shit, the gun is in the drawer, son. So have get the gun out of the drawer. And he points it at me. I'm like, yo, chill, son. That shit got, you know what I mean? That shit got bullets. And he's like, I'm just playing with you, my nigga. I ain't. He's like, I'm just playing. Calm down. I'm like, chill, don't point guns at people, my nigga. Chill. So then my man come back with all the posters. He's like, yo, here. He put the posters down. Then had pointed the gun at him. Uh... Like, yo, give me them posters, nigga. <laughs> 
Bam! Oh, 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 <laughs> by mistake. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> they got to go. They got to go. Yo. You think? <laughs> My nigga. Everything went in slow motion after that. <laughs> literally. Get literally. These niggas. Everything, <laughs> everything turned misty and went slow motion. <laughs> I remember literally, like, I don't know why that happens, but I guess in the heat of moments like that, shit just time slows just time, slow. yo. Right. So half drops the gun. Like he we both like, oh shit, what the fuck? Like, we in shock. You know what I mean? Have boats out the boats out the door. Runs downstairs like, oh shit, I'm out. So I'm like, oh, you're not leaving me in here. I start chasing. <laughs> I start chasing behind him like in the office. Wait, my dumb ass want to know: Did you at least take the poster? Because that day I saw poster was rare as shit. Nah, oh, man, you got the poster. Nah, I wasn't even thinking about no more of the posters at that point. I'm like, you know how hard that this shit on eBay right now is like a nothing. No, he was trying to get low. He was trying to get the fuck out of there at that point. So, have ran out the door, knocked DMC. Damn, the DMC ain't running, was coming in the building. Knocked them niggas. One of them niggas fell on the floor. I don't remember what was going on. Because he busted. He like ran out and busted through the door. So one of them fell down. We ran up. We running up the block. And I hear somebody. That's a crazy way to meet Run DMC, by the way. I hear somebody screaming behind me. Stop them kids. Yo, stop them kids. So I'm like, I look. And it's fucking Ali Shaheed is chasing us. Oh, shit. Oh God! So he's chasing <sighs> us, yo. Oh, he keeps chasing he's us, yo. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this motherfucker is chasing <laughs> us. <yo." laughs> so we get down to Houston, right? We get down to Houston. Have stop. Have his wild. Like, yo, son, it was a mistake. I didn't mean to do that. It was a mistake. I'm like, yo, calm down, calm down, my nigga. Everything gonna be alright. Just chill, relax. He's wilding though. He's like hysterical because he didn't mean to do that shit. Like, you know what right. I'm saying? So. He's wilding. I'm trying to get him to calm down. And I see a D. I see a detective car pull up. Unmarked car. You know, we know what the D's look like. So I seen the D's. I said, oh, I said, yo, have chill, chill, chill. The D's is there. Because have is screaming. Like, I ain't mean to shoot him. I ain't mean to shoot him. It was a mistake. Oh, oh. So I'm like, yo, chill, 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 chill. So the D's is right here. Chill, my nigga. So they see him bugging. So they stop the car. They get out. They're like, yo, what's, what's going on? He's like, yo, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. I'm like, oh, my God. Here come Ali Shaheed. Yo, get the. They put the handcuffs on half. Because half is sitting and basically confessing. He's like, I didn't mean to do it. It was a mistake. They're like, oh, no, it's going to be all right. Put your hands behind your back. Oh, Lord. I'm like, oh, my God, man. So they let me and my man, Prince AD, that was our DJ at the time, they let us go. Took half. I go home, go to sleep, right? Wake up the next morning to go to school. My mom's always got WBLS playing on the um, clock radio in the morning. So I hear on the radio, they like, uh, yesterday there was a shooting in Def Jam office uh, over contracts. The artists, oh. some artists, uh, they wouldn't sign the artists or so the artists shot somebody in the office. Oh. That's what they said on the radio. So I'm sitting there listening to it. I didn't even tell my mom. Is your mom putting two and two together? Nah, like- she don't even know what's going on. So when I heard that, I was like, I was like, oh my God. So now like reality is hitting me because I'm just waking up and I'm like, it's a new day. Right. Now I'm like, reality's hit me, what just happened yesterday. So now my brain kicks in the how we gonna get out of this mode. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, all right. And right away I just came up with a story. All right, we thought it was a lighter. 
<laughs> no. Because you know, how, you know how in the village, yeah. like downtown, they got the little lighters at the smoke shops, little, yeah. little gun lighters. Rozel used to carry that shit. So I'm like, yo, in my mind, I'm like, all right, we got to think of something quick. So right away, I'm like, yo, we thought we found it outside. We thought it was a lighter. We was playing with it, and shit went off. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I had to go to the hospital, kick it with the homie. They got hit, and um, you know, let them know, like, listen, man, you know that was an accident, man. You know what I'm saying? You gotta stick to this story. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. otherwise, it's gonna be bad for half. Like, so he, right. was like, he was like, all right. You know what I'm saying? He looked out. You know what I'm saying? He was like, cause he know it, it was a it, it was a terrible mistake, but where the bullet go? Man, his stomach, abdomen. Oh, man. So yeah, that 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 craziness happened. So and, um, y'all did not get signed to Def Jam, I presume. Nah, then uh, like, you know, have you like talked band. to Run DMC or nah. Ali about this like later? Like, nah, but Nikki D, remember that's everything because she was there. She used to work day. at the office, right? Yeah, and after that, she would always remind me. She would always remind me about that day every time I seen her after that. <laughs> She'd be like, yo, y'all little niggas is bugged the fuck out, yo. What's wrong with y'all? The cat got shot, he survived. Like he, yeah, he's cool yeah, he, he right, was cool. good, man. You know, fortunately, you know, everything worked out. And um That's a crazy story he'll tell for the rest of his life. Too. It's definitely a crazy story, though, man. After after that, Def Jam had security. You couldn't even walk in the building anymore. Before I was that, gonna say, because when I went in. to Def Jam, it was like freaking what not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how long is it till Fourth and Broadway comes in, in the uh the picture fourth and broadway oh. is a company on is a record company on island def jam you know um eric b and rakim yeah, used to be eric b and rakim's label so right after that we uh you know after everything with that def jam shit we uh we, you know we continued to make demos and just q-tip had brought us like into the industry so we started meeting different people and finding out we started finding out about industry parties mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying because they would tell us, oh, there's a party over here tonight, party over here tonight. So we started being in the loop of all the industry parties at that point. Uh, talent shows, Kid Capri would do these talent shows. Whoever got the best verse or song, you get $100. We won one of those one night. Um, we were just going around, different functions, New York City talent shows, different party, industry parties. And our homie from uh, high school, Derek, that put us together, my, my, that kid that was in my photography class, mm-hmm. his mom used to work for WBLS, and she was, like, cool with Puff. So he arranged a meeting with us and Puff. So we, we got real cool with Puff right away, um, and Puff would invite us to all his parties. He was That's when he was a club promoter at that time, heavy, mm-hmm. doing club promotion. And uh, we used to go to all the, the, the Puff parties, you know what I mean, at the building, the red zone. So... We started really being at all the functions and hanging out, and people started knowing us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, Maddie C got a hold of our demo. Maddie C from The Source? Yeah. He got a hold of our demo, and he put us in the um, unsigned hype column that he did. And because of the unsigned hype column and uh, Maddie C's other homeboy, Bones Malone, yep. they... Was like they found interest in us from that, and they was like, "Yo, we want to have a meeting with y'all." Bones brought us up there, Maddie, and we met Cookie Gonzalez, and uh, we met uh, uh, Chris Blackwell. You know what I mean? Ah. So they brought us in to meet Chris. We sat down with Chris, 
uh, Chris was an interesting dude. Yeah, what was that like? Because Chris is like... <laughs> yeah, that was very interesting. He was sitting there rolling up some hash. And I ain't, I never seen hash before. Right. He had a big, like, roll of black hash. And I'm like, yo, what is that? He's like, yo, it's hash. You smoke it. So I'm like, all right. He's like, you want to try it? I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> so we smoking hash with Chris Blackwell in the office. He's like, yo, I really like y'all, man. I want to sign y'all to, you know what I mean, do a deal with y'all. Did he ever interject? I've, I've never met Chris Blackwell without at least him interjecting a Bob Marley story. I'm sure he did. Of his glory, yeah. I'm sure he did, especially when we were smoking. You know what I mean? He probably said something like that. Um, but at this time, you know, they had Rakim, Eric B. and Rakim. Before, not at this time, but they had in the past mm -hmm. Eric B. and Rakim. And the the newer, uh, more updated artist on 4th and Broadway they have X -Clan? was, was uh, M.O.P. You know okay. what I mean? They had a song called The Hill That's Real. Ah. Uh, and How About Some Hardcore. That was, hardcore. Right. That was on 4th and Broadway at, at this time when Chris is signing us. Right. So he offered us a deal. He was like, hell yeah. We want that. We taking it. You know what I mean? So we did the deal with Allen. And um, yeah, basically it was the same thing. He ain't trying to tell us what to do. They basically just... No A&R, no... I mean, Cookie and Bones was like, you know, but Bones... That's dope. Know us. Bones <laughs> know us. Like, he started right. hanging out with us and seeing how we also... He like, yeah, just leave, let them niggas do them. They know what they doing and they know what they want. Like you know what I mean? How old are you then at this point? We like sixteen. We like you so you still mean? in? Are you going to school still? And yeah, we in high school. But at this point, it's like I'm about to drop out because now I'm to one day I'm like sleeping in the crib. My mom's waking me up like, "Come on, you're gonna be late for school." I woke up. I said, "Mom, I'm not going to school no more." And how did she take that? She was like, "Oh, word." She was like, "Okay." What? And then she left and Damn. went to work. Where's that mom at? My and mom. then when she came back from work and she thought about it, she said, son, are you going to pay some rent? Or? She just, she was just like, okay. Because wow. she, I guess she seen what I was doing like, okay. with my career. You know what I mean? She was helping me. Like, do it. Like, so you, you didn't have any resistance in your family? Nah, not with like, you know, I come from an entertainment family. So they like, they was encouraging me. In the family trade. Right, yeah. but it's still hip hop, so you know it's so different. Than it's what definitely they... different. So they, my mom was scared. She okay. was like apprehensive when Chris wanted to sign us, and he he actually did some kind of thing where we didn't need our parents' consent. Wow, <laughs> wait, that pissed my mom's off. Yeah. She was like, "Oh, that, that he's a piece of shit." He did say he went around our backs and signed y'all without our consent. Da, da, da. But we was like, "Mom, chill, man." You know what I'm saying? So the new edition story ain't happening, y'all. Y'all was My mom straight. used to manage us, too. Okay. You know what I'm so saying? So then how did they go behind her? That's crazy. She At this time, she, she was, was, like, managing us for a minute, and then we fired her. <laughs> how do you fire your mom, man? <laughs> <laughs> y'all <Yo>, hardcore. Because <laughs> she was like, you know, we did a talent show, right? before, Right before we got signed to 4th and Roby, we did a talent show. It was like a New York City, some talent show in New York used to do all the time. And we we had, we had those like auditions, rehearsals, or whatever it is, and we'd go through our song, and our song got curses in it. The chorus of the song go, "Oh shit, here we go, yo, oh shit, here we go." That's the whole chorus. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we put it on, we like doing our shit, and they like, "Oh, stop the music, stop." The music. They was like, "Yo, you can't curse in this talent show." We like what? They like you can't curse. You you have Fuck to uh, change the curses or do a new song. We like what? We're not changing nothing, man. We're not doing this, man. Fuck your show. And we we walked off. My mom was like, "What's wrong with y'all?" So she sat us down. Like right after that, she was like, "You can't do that. You can't you can't disrespect people like that. You just change take the curses out." We was like, "Yo, listen. We're gonna stick to what we do. 
You know what I mean? We don't want nobody trying to change us. Uh, we was hard headed, like you know what I mean. Wait, havoc! I, mm, havoc, Proj. I, I gotta say, three times I've heard you easily walk away from some shit that could sort of maybe sort of change your life. What I've never heard nihilism to this level, where it's just like, I'm out. I can walk away. What is it in you? Like, what's in your head that just be like, all right, I walk away. I think we just we believed in what we were doing so much. Like like I said, it was like the, the vibe that we had. We could just feel it. It was gonna work and nothing was gonna stop it. It was just a feeling. You know what I'm saying? Like we was like, Oh, we got some shit. He don't know it, she don't know it. None of these people don't know what they're talking about. You know what I'm saying? That's we crazy. got some shit. Cause usually people <laughs> by this point, people will either have a side meeting. Okay, maybe we can meet him at the fifty yard line. Let's compromise a little bit. You know what they want, and then you know. Now nah, we were really, there. we were really hard headed. You were just like, oh. we were really, um, we were really just stuck on what we were doing. We were tunnel vision. We wasn't trying to hear nobody. We we had a, a something that didn't really exist. Like you know what I'm saying? It was like the vibe that we had. The, 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 the you know just the the energy and the words and the, the style, the slang, everything was just. It wasn't nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, it was just like a changing of the guard at that time almost because, you know, it was like you had the Rock Kims and the Big Daddy Kings and, the, you know, the, the symphonies. Like when the symphony came out, like that was what was popping when we was learning how to do rap. Mm-hmm. And then once we started getting in the studio, we started catching on to how this shit works. And we was like, oh, we got this shit. Like we know how to do this shit, right? We thought we did. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But... It just it just made our minds like, oh, this is, we on some new shit. We a new generation. These motherfuckers don't know what they talking about. We got some shit. We not trying to hear nobody, yo. So that was- No it, clean versions, yeah, ever. It was a fucked up attitude to have, but- <laughs> No, I mean, you stick to your guns. You know what I'm saying? You stick to your guns. So my mom was like, yo, you can't do that. So we was like, yo, listen, if, you, if you're not going to follow what we saying and believe in us to the maximum and fuck everybody else, then we, we can't work with you no more. To the mom, and you're 16. And she was like, she was like, all right. She was like, all right, cool. I'll see right, you when cool. I get home. She was like, but that's, she was like, that's a very bad attitude to have. You know what I mean? That's a very bad attitude to have. You're not gonna get far in life with that attitude. She she gave me the whole spiel of that whole thing, but we wasn't trying to hear it. So it's like when you fire your moms, what happens when you get home? Like, is it just normal? Like. Dinner time. All right, so what's for dinner, <laughs> mac and cheese? <laughs> now you make your own dinner. <laughs> I mean, at that time, I wasn't. I was kind of. I wasn't going home anymore. Mm-hmm. I was kind of at the out the house already. Okay, you know what I'm saying I would stay at half crib, or I would stay at my grandmother's crib. I would pop up at my mom's crib sometimes. Like we were just bouncing everywhere. I was staying in the, in the Bronx with my homie from school. Staying in Brooklyn with my homie Illa G from school. Um, you know, what I mean, we were just. Everywhere, man. We was young, active, trying to get on. Like, you know what I mean? I wasn't thinking about I didn't want to be in the house with my mom's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm right. out of here. We going to Coney Island. We popping. We staying the weekend. We was just having fun and doing what we doing and creating ourselves. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. 
make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So even, even though Juvenile, did, Juvenile Hell didn't necessarily do the numbers i mean it did get you guys so notice amongst industry people so check this out our arrogant asshole attitude mm-hmm. right <laughs> that's why that album came out like and underperformed and it was like not really we didn't put our heart and soul we didn't put our we didn't understand that this shit is not a joke like, you can't just do whatever and, and people are supposed to kiss your ass and like it. You got to make timeless. You got to make some shit that stand the test of time. And we didn't understand that. We was very arrogant. We was very, you know, cocky on some bullshit. And that's why that product came out. And then a couple of months later, Nas dropped Illmatic. Uh, and that, that brought us to, down to reality. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> now, have you, have you met Nas before? Like, oh, yeah. Y'all were in the same, like, we how'd all y'all? on the block together. We all trying to get on right, at the same time. Too. You know what I mean? We all trying to get on. Nas had live at the barbecue. He had uh, the song on the Zebra soundtrack, the halftime. Zebra, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, dude, this is all at the same time. While we doing Juvenile Hell, Nas had the Zebra halftime shit and... You know what I mean? Then we go off on a little promo run, mm-hmm. and we in a, we doing an in-store one day in D.C. We doing an in-store for Juvenile Hell, and we walk into the in-store, and Illmatic is playing. We never heard it before. So we listen, we sitting there like this. We uh, have look at each other like, you hear this shit? We're like, oh, shit, yo. 
uh, pack this shit up. Yo, we was like, yo, pack this shit up, man. We we went about this all wrong. You know what I'm saying? And that brought us down to reality, basically. That gave us that was a reality. Actually, that's a check. good thing because yeah, that was a reality. Did you call check your mother. You <laughs> <laughs> was right, man. You might have had a point, right? You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> you guessed it. You know, right, right then we seen it. We seen it before before we even got dropped. We already knew. Oh, all right, we fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Because we could hear the difference. We could hear it. It was a big difference between the, you know, the thought that was put into making the music. You know what right. I'm saying? The thought that was put into making writing the lyrics, making the beats. He put some serious thought into that, and we didn't. We were just fucking around being little dumbass kids, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, feeling ourselves, yeah, we got a rap deal. Yeah, I got a gold tooth. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so how far, like, when did it suddenly become, like, okay, this serious business? So uh, we got Because a lot of people still feel as though that's your first record. When we got dropped, that's when... When we heard the Illmatic album, and then we got dropped maybe like, a couple weeks later or whatever, whatever... We was just like in the sunken place. <laughs> we was like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Yo, we gotta, we was like, no, no, this can't happen, yo. So we you thought like, no. we make a second album and then yeah, write the wrong like, and. Yo, our hearts was broken. You know what I'm saying? Cause we was like, yo, this is what we wanna do with our life. Right. We're not playing with this shit. We just went about it the wrong way. We had the wrong attitude. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No. Like we was like, no. You know what I'm saying? Like we gotta we gotta show people who we are. We gotta tell our story the right way. We gotta put, like I said, put thought and put meaning, put your soul, put your heart into the music. Like, you know what I mean? Tell your story, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? So we were just we went in and we had that attitude, like, yo, listen, this is what we wanna do for our rest of our life. We just got dropped. We feel like the biggest losers ever. We go into the hood, everybody laughing on us on the lower end. Nas just dropped Illmatic. These niggas, these niggas, it's just some corny. Nas, Nas looking at us like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they laughing at us on the low. So we, we like went in, regrouped, and we had the attitude like, you know, we're not, we not going to, this ain't going to happen again. You know what I'm saying? 1000% for sure, this is never going to happen again. You know what I'm saying? And, so did you have the the the? Well, I know that at at that point, uh, Matt started working at Loud, correct? Uh, yeah, right right around that time, Matt got a job at Loud. Uh, Loud, they were just like a cubicle inside the RCA office. Right. Okay. They had uh, PMD, I think his first solo yeah, album. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. They had the Alcoholics, and they had just signed Wu Tang. Wu Tang. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, uh, we had we we regrouped. After that, with that mentality, we was like, oh, hell no. That's when we really started going in, making our own beats. That's when I like, I was teaching half, you know what I mean, during that time with Juvenile Hell and transitioning over to making this new demo, I was teaching half how to do the beats and shit, and he was getting nice with it. So at first, it was like, I would make a bass line or some, some drums or something, and then have a come add some shit to it, you know what I mean? And I'd be like, yo, yo, let me add, let me add something, let me change something. They'd be like, oh, yeah, all right, let me ask. So that's how it was at first. After a while, I started listening and looking, have started looking possessed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, you could just see it. He was fucking possessed. He was like, focused. You know what I'm saying? And you could hear it. So I'm like, 
after a while, I was like, I don't even want to bother him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't want to be like, yo, let me add, because he was in his groove. Like, you know what I'm saying? So right, I was like, his own thing. let me just let him work. You know what I'm saying? And I'll just sit here and write the rhyme. You know what I'm saying? So it got like that. And plus, he was hogging it a little something, too. He was definitely <laughs> hogging the machine. You know what I'm saying? Right. He was like, hold up, hold up, son. Hold up, hold up. You know, I'll be like, yo, come on. Let me add you. Like, hold up, hold up, hold up. After a while, I'm like, all right, yeah, go ahead, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the store get a 40. I'll be right back. Come back. The beat is done. And then I just write around to it. But then I also seen that have, I seen Havoc become Havoc. I seen it. You know right. what I mean? I seen it in his face. I heard it in the music. I just seen the look in his face. When he was sitting there making the beats, I was like, wow, he's really, he's really tapped in right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that's how that happened. And, um. You know, Maddie brought us over to Steve. He heard our demos. He was like, yo, y'all motherfuckers, I got some shit now. I got a new job over here. I'm going to bring you up to the office, meet Steve Rifkin, blah, blah, blah. Steve, he played music for Steve. Steve was like, yo, I love it. He's like, I want to sign y'all. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we hanging out with Puff every day. So Puff is telling us about this new company that he wants to start called Bad Boy. And he's like, yo, I want to, I want y'all to be the first artist. I want to sign y'all to Bad Boy, da 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 da. Whoa! So, we like, we hanging with Puff every night. You know what I'm saying at the clubs. He like, he want to sign us. Steve want to sign us. So we now, now we telling him, all right, let's get some paperwork. Get That's some paperwork. why he's in the videos. I was wondering why he was in those videos in the yeah. beginning. Oh yeah. Okay, I get it. Put so, this all um, up in the video. <laughs> Dance. <laughs> so, so basically, <clears throat> the deal that Steve offered us. Basically, it was more money, and that's the only reason why we took the Steve. But what was the trade-off? Like, because um, usually with those things, more money but less control, power, and something. Nah, it was it was it wasn't it wasn't actually any trade-off. I guess it was a bit. The trade-off was um, the trade-off was they probably got to keep the publishing. We didn't get the publishing. Right, that's how I'm asking. They got to keep the publishing. Maybe the trade-off was also. We didn't have to do all the glossy right. other shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? That was one good trade-off, like, you know what I mean? But Puff no had a vision. Man. He had a vision for this company, and he wanted us to be the first artist on Bad Boy. But Steve just so happened to offer us maybe like $10,000 more mm-hmm. than what Puff was offering. So we, we just went with the Steve deal. Plus, Steve was talking like, yo, listen, I, I'll give y'all this deal. Y'all just do what y'all want. It's, it sound like you already got y'all game mastered. Just do what y'all do. You know what I'm saying? So we took this uh, loud deal, and, um, you know, we started working on the, the infamous album. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, shout out to Maddie C. You know, shout out to Bones Malone, you know, Cookie Gonzalez, and, you know, Chris Blackwell, and everybody that helped us out in the beginning and got us to that point, you know what I mean, where Steve Richmond wanted to sign us. How did Q-Tip come back into the fold uh, working, working with y'all on the infamous? Um, so... After we, uh, you know, was like 80% probably done, maybe 60% done maybe mm-hmm. with the album, we was like, yo, let's call Tip. We want some beats. We want some beats from Tip. So we reached out to Tip. Uh, he came and picked us up, and he brought us his crib on Linden, and uh, he was just, basically he just played us mad records. He was like, tell me when you hear something you like. You know what I mean? So he would play us mad Patrice Russian. He would play us all kind of shit that we... So I think it was the Patrice Russian one. With the LL, the LL did the song Pink Cookies in a Plastic Bag. Right. Oh, that was uh, Esther Williams. Esther Williams. It's all right. all right with me. Yeah. So uh so uh he plays us that record. And right away I, I recognized it from LL's song. Mm-hmm. 
But in my mind, I was like, yo, let's make a new, let's make a different version. Let's use that beat and make a different and version. And use it the like, right way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Shots fired. yeah, we, we, we picked a bunch of beats from him and we did some songs and basically we finished the album up. And when the album was done, we brought Q-Tip back in the studio to tweak up the mixes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because he was nice with that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Fix the sounds here and there. Do little things here and there, touch the knobs and shit. You know what I'm saying? And he basically like took what we did and like made it sound good. Like you know what I'm saying? Hooked us up with the good mix engineers. You know what I'm saying? So that was that was really good that we was able to work with him at that point. You know what I'm saying? Where you're listening to Questlove Supreme. We're here with Prodigy of Mob Deep and Kathy Iandali, journalist and co-author of Prodigy's latest book, Commissary Kitchen: My Infamous Prison Cookbook. Um. Okay, I have to say that, you know, the the glory of hip-hop and being alive during the classic, during the renaissance and the classic period and, the, and all the periods of hip-hop is, you know, when a song stops you in your tracks. Yeah. Shook Ones was definitely. I, yo, I will say, and the thing is, I don't think anyone has really properly put in context why Shook Ones is so culturally important. All right, take it, take for someone sheltered. Yeah. Someone sheltered like me that like just listen to hip hop to really find out what's going out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I'm one of the, I'm one of the dudes that the the marketing people of Def Jam would have loved because like when Onyx came out, I was like, yo, this is real hardcore. <laughs> or like when Niggas for Life came out, that was like, yo, you were NWA saying this is so. But I didn't realize that it was so over the top hardcore. It was, it was cartoonish. Yeah, <laughs> it was cartoonish. And when I heard Shook Ones, they did. I f- I feel like if if Robert De Niro and Al Pacino were making hip hop, <laughs> that's what it would be. <laughs> well, because the glory in in Robert De Niro and Al Pacino's work is the fact that they're so deadpan. The subtlety, yeah, yeah, it's deadpan. You're more scared of someone that's silent. And just deadpan as opposed to like someone's cartoon and over the top, then I don't take him serious. I'm like, oh, your your bark's worse than your bite. You're just being a cartoon. But the fact that they were saying the shit they were saying and such so deadpan about it. Yeah. And too, it was the visuals too. Like the visual, like that video. See, I didn't see the video until later. So I heard the song, it was just like, yo, how For me, I saw for we saw the video first. I saw the video first. And so for us, it was it was seeing the video. And literally probably about a month after the video came out, I remember kids in my school, come my homies, had the Hennessy jerseys. Right. <laughs> Straight, <laughs> up. Straight up. But yeah, it was Hell something, yeah. it was just something that came through in that video that was like, I mean, being in the South, even though y'all were New York guys, there was just something I don't know, there was just a that level was, of that authenticity. Was that was new but that was more New York to me than any Wu Tang product, any like to me, even 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 on L, uh, even on New York, New York, where like if you listen to the the very uh, the first twenty seconds mm-hmm. with uh, Dog Pound's New York, New York, I mean they're basically mocking, right? Mopping, Yo, what up, done? Done, what up, Yo, what up <laughs> You know, like so. Love kid, <laughs> for me, that's like lightning in a bottle. You can't even capture, like. I guess the theme of Questlove Supreme is that whenever like these these monumentous hip hop moments happen, 
it's always an afterthought. Like, yeah, we made that shit in like five minutes. <laughs> like, Word. what was the process behind Shook Ones? At, or at that part two? Well, it was part, yeah, because it was part one first. I had the magic yeah. single with part one on mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, like, uh, why wasn't that push? And um, I don't know. It just it just happened the way it happened. I don't even know, man. We made part one and uh I think we made we might have made both of them around the same time and then we put the part one out first, put the second one out. And uh yeah, it just, like, it were just, you it just happened that, like that. Were man. you shocked that at at it's the reception and you know, every time we would make songs, we this is how we would test our music. We'd be outside on the block with everybody. You know what I'm saying? Um Queensbridge is like I said, ninety six buildings is is big. It's a big project. It's a lot of people outside. Like we got a lot of friends. Like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Brooklyn, hanging out in Brooklyn, the Bronx, same thing. We would hang out with all our friends, and we would play our music, and we want to see how people react to it. Like you know what I'm saying. So, you know what I'm saying. We, and we got you know our peers, people like Nas spitting crazy. You know what I mean. People like. Cormega was spitting crazy. Like, it, it was a lot of people that was dope. The whole Juice Crew thing, the symphony, like, that, that was, like, shit that we, that was around us. So it was like, you know, we was trying to spit that level of shit. These are the people that we had to deal with. Mm-hmm. These are people that are going to laugh at us if we make some bullshit. Like, right. you know what I mean? If we talking some bullshit. If we talking some shit that's not true. Like, you know what I'm saying? If we, like, we had to deal with people. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so... That's how we would test a lot of our music. We would play it outside on the block, see how people react to it. And we would see how friends, our friends would be like, yo, shit's fire. Yo, bring that shit back. Yo, bring that shit back. And we would walk around different blocks in the hood and just, like I said, take it to Brooklyn, take it here, take it there, see how everybody feeling it. And that's how we would know, oh, we got something. You know what I'm saying? If motherfuckers didn't react, and we'd be like, yeah, we can't fuck with that. But if they reacted, we knew we had something. So we did the same thing with Shook Ones. You know, most of the songs was like that. You know what I mean? We would test it out on the block and see how people would react. And then we would be like, all right, we got one. Put that out. You know what I'm saying? I think another part of the formula that really made that album work is the fact that the musical backdrop was like so. <laughs> wasn't as hardcore. Like, even for like Up North Trip, like I remember my uncle used to always, that, that came from a, a Spinner's record, Spinner's 8. So he used to always play. The spinner's uh, I'm Tired of Living on his 8-track. Right, so that's how I always remembered it. But now it's like, I mean, even though the subject matter of that song was more like a, it's kind of like a fuck my friends, like I can only trust me sort of thing. But like, I always had happy memories of being in my Uncle Junie's car listening to that song. But then like, y'all just took it and just made it into like. Yeah, it was like a juxtaposition of like smooth, like soothing sounds and then like the most murderous shit on top of it <laughs> like lyrically even yeah. like with Drink Away the Pain a record like Drink Away the Pain like that's like a happy ass head on the song but then right then y'all slow it down and like spit that shit over it yeah it man. becomes something we, totally we was, different you know we caught we caught our drift we caught a drift we was on it like you know what I mean and once we locked in that was it we wasn't we was like alright we got it we got it let's go and like you know what I'm saying we we getting the reaction that we want from people now. So what, what is I'm life saying? like now that the album is taking off? I mean, y'all got four and a half mics in the source. I'm I'm one of those people that actually believe that four and a half mics is That's better a than a five. Because when you when you I mean yeah you you can have a five, but then it becomes a burden. Like I feel like for Nas, that five is a burden on him. 
Uh, because it's like everybody's always going to say, well, in the beginning in 1994, this is when, da, 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 and right. you know, they kind of, I feel like four and a half is like the highest accolade you can get where you don't get that much jealousy or, or scrutiny from your peers yeah, or whatever. I see. I definitely see what you Did mean. Did you feel some sort of way? Do you feel like, oh man, we should have got a file like Illmatic or. At that time, we, we didn't really we didn't really care. Like the source was the source was definitely. Don't get me wrong. That was like the Bible, hip hop Bible. Like you know what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. that's how we got our break was from the source, like unsigned hype. But um, that you know what we were making, you know we knew the power of what we was making. Like we felt it, we seen it, we heard it. Like we seen how people were reacting to it. So we didn't really. Once we got in that zone, it was just just go time. We didn't really care. You know what I mean? Too much about, oh, they gave us four mics, uh, whatever. Because we still had the attitude a little bit in us. Like, you know, fuck these niggas. <laughs> don't they don't care, know what they right. talk about. Like, you know what I mean? Okay. But it was a little bit more polished. The attitude was a little bit more polished, but it was still there. You know what I'm saying? It was still there. So we didn't really we didn't really care too much about anything. Once we got our shit off and running, shook one, survival of the fittest, it was like, we out of here. Fuck everybody now. Let's just do what we do. Stick to what we do. Stay in the studio, stay working, just keep dropping these fucking albums, keep dropping this music, and it was just like that. That was it. It was over. So now that it's more active for you, it's, as far as the reception, and I'm sure the touring is ramping up, and just the overall activity. How are you able to deal with your health issues and still maintain a, a, a busy like itinerary, promoting? And- I was fucking up bad. I didn't even realize what I was doing to myself because I didn't learn about health and diet until, like, my mid-20s. Like, you know what I'm saying? My little mid to early to mid-20s, like, you know what I mean? So I was like, I didn't even realize what so I was doing So there wouldn't be times where, like, right before a show you might oh, have yeah. an attack or it's like, fuck, oh, what yeah. do I do? It was plenty of those times because I, re- I didn't realize that I was making myself sick. Like, we would get up in the morning and have E&J for breakfast. Like, you know? Like, oh shit! Like That's... literally every day, like you know what I'm saying, and have sandwiches for breakfast. Like that was our <laughs> That's thing. Crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like as crazy as it sounds. That's what we were doing. And why was that? Because a lot of people don't really understand sickle cell like that. So why was that like so bad for you? Um, because I learned later. I didn't know at this time, but I learned later that alcohol um dehydrates. You know what I mean? Your blood. It de- it takes all the oxygen out your blood. It dries up your blood cells. So that uh, when oxygen is missing out of my blood, that's what triggers a sickle cell crisis. Like you know what I'm saying? So you were having a lot back then. Didn't yeah, even know. I, I didn't even realize that I'm doing it to myself. I'm thinking because the doctor always told me all my life, you got sickle cells. Nothing you can do about it. You're not gonna live past forty. You know what I'm saying? That's what they told me all my life. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing you can do about it. There's no cure. There's, that's it. You so, gotta deal with this shit. So do you think a part of the 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 nihilist? Kind of, I don't give a fuck attitude. It's just the fact that inside you felt maybe, well, shit, by the time I'm 40, I'm not even going to be here anyway. So let's just. It wasn't so much, I mean, maybe subconsciously that, but I, I never I never thought like I'm going to die when I'm 40 because that's what they said. But I used to hear that all the time. So maybe subconsciously, yeah, you know what I mean? But definitely the pain that I was going through made me off a little bit. You know what I'm saying? A little bit. What is the I actual probably pain? Some is help, it a stomach like psychological pain? Help. Um, nah, it's like pain in the blood. It starts It starts like, all right, you know, blood cells around. You know right. what I mean? Look like a lifesaver or whatever. Uh, and, um, 
when my blood is missing oxygen, when there's not enough oxygen in my blood, my blood cells change shape and it's turning like crescent moon shapes, sickle shapes. Mm-hmm. And they start interlocking with each other like this. And it causes like chain reaction. And when it, when they start interlocking with each other, it just builds up and I guess creates pressure or I don't really So it's like, like a headache or I mean well, not yeah, a headache. It's like throbbing. It's like somebody took a hammer or a sledgehammer and just like boom like you know what I mean? Wherever oh. the pain is at, that's what oh, it feels like. It's like crippling, like you know what I mean. I can't even walk. I can't move. Sometimes my friends had to carry me to the hospital. Like it's crazy. It get crazy. Like so, um, you know what I mean. I, I've been. I remember the. I can remember being a little baby, laying in the hospital, looking up at my family, looking down at me. I don't even. I probably was like three years old. You know what I'm saying. And I can. I, I remember those memories, just laying in the hospital, looking up at my family, being sick in the hospital. I ain't understand what was going on. I just know I'm in pain. I don't know what the fuck is happening. So this pain been with me all my life. And it definitely, you know, had an effect on, you know, my mentality and made me angry. I ain't believe in God. You know what I mean? Because I used to pray to make Why would God you suffer and- make, make the pain go away and, and it's not going away. So I was like, oh, it ain't no God then. Yo, you know what I'm saying? Here's a, yeah. This might be a dumb non-celebrity question, but did you ever, were you ever in the same room with like T-Boss? Because I feel like y'all would have some of the same issues since y'all Damn. both were on tour a lot. And she seemed like she really went through it a lot. Yeah, we had a conversation. We were going to do a song on my H&IC album, but uh, she said her label wouldn't let her do a song. Was that the You Can Never Feel My Pain joint? Yeah, she was supposed yeah. to get on that with me. I had made that song for me and her. And uh, I went down, I flew down to Atlanta and for her to hear it, she came to the studio and uh, she liked it. She was like, my label's not going to let me do it because they're not going to let me get on a hardcore rap song. Yeah. So I don't know. What, you know yeah. what I mean? But uh, yeah, the Sickle Cell was crazy. It was a crazy thing to grow up with and... You know, it definitely it made me angry. You know what I mean? I was an angry, pissed off kid. And then my father, you know, he didn't help all the shit he was teaching me. And You know what I'm saying? So, you know, by the time I got to high school, man, I was just, oh, it was, I was insane. I was an insane kid. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was very fucking insane, man. And, uh, you know, going on tour, I didn't realize I was killing myself. Like, I... I would, we, we would get off the plane. I'm sick. I got to go right to the hospital. Can't even do it. Got to cancel the show. I have got to perform by itself. This is when Infamous, you know what I mean? When Infamous came out, we was like touring overseas immediately when Shook Ones and all that. And, uh, you know, I had, get sick. I had got sick in Paris. I had to go to the hospital in Paris. I had to go, you know, different places overseas. And, you know, I just thought it was normal because this is what I did all my life. You know what I mean? Get sick, go to the hospital, get better after a couple of weeks. <clears throat> Right. Come out. But when it started affecting the shows, it started affecting the money and people booking us and you know what I mean? Did that uh, affect your relationship with 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 uh Havoc? Nah. I mean not where not he would really, be like Nah. Like would he be on you like, yo man, like you you know if you do this, da 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 nah, that's gonna mess up the money or you yeah, know. Yeah, he didn't know. He okay. didn't know. We just thought you know, I got sick of cell, I get sick. Okay. We didn't. Re- I didn't realize you didn't connect. It's because of my diet and right. all this drinking, all this smoking, all this. We didn't know that. You know what I mean? So we just think I'm. I'm P gets sick all the time. Okay. I-, I hope he doesn't get sick tonight. I hope he doesn't get. Sick. You know what I mean? So after a while, or the money getting fucked up and promoters scared to book us, that started making me think different. Like, all right, hold up. This is fucking up the business. I keep getting sick. What's going on? So you know, I started doing research and. I started finding out that, like, you know, uh, you could control the sickle cell 
just, you know, from having a proper diet. It's all about diet and what you put into your body and and uh also also your like your spirit your mentality like cuz once you change your mind and your spirit it, it kind of has a domino effect. Everything has a domino effect. Once you start making change in your life, mm-hmm. little things whether it's diet or whether it's spirituality, once you start making changes, everything else you look you start looking at other things. Like, Hold up. All right, well, I eat clean now. I eat vegetables, all right, so what else do I need to clean up in my life? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, I need to stop this, or I need to stop hanging out with, with these people. They, you know what I mean? They get me in trouble. I need to stop thinking like this. I need to stop having negative thoughts. So it's like a domino effect. So, is, is it easy to do that? I mean, well, we didn't even get into how you guys went from por- uh, political profits to Mob Deep. <laughs> but even the first time I met y'all, I don't know if you remember, like, the you guys did an in-store, or maybe y'all were just there. I don't know. Um, when Do You Want More, our our second album came out in Philadelphia at Tower Records. Wow. We were we did an in store, like played inside of uh, inside of that store, and you guys were there, and I was kind of shocked. I was like, because you know, even then for us, I, I guess people sort of looked at us like alternative rap, outside like, of they, they <laughs> kind of didn't accept us into the fold until like way later. But I was shocked. I was like, damn, Mob Deep's here, like. Damn. Okay, maybe maybe we're doing good. Like I know that you guys were in town at night to do right. Power ninety nine the night before, but I also noticed that y'all rolled humongous, like big. Like how how do you if you decide okay maybe I need to break away? Like how do you separate yourself from church and state, if you will? I mean, I mean, you know, it's it's very tricky, man. It's very tricky navigating through that whole lifestyle and through that whole like you know what I mean uh, communities that we grew up in like you know what I mean it's it's not easy man you know what I'm saying like on an average tour how many people are rolling with y'all um now or back no then? back then <laughs> um, back then back then if we was in the states maybe like fifteen twenty maybe it could be more sometimes if sometimes we would drive to like. Connecticut or drive to Boston or something, and we have like fifteen cars with us. Ain't that expensive? And be like so I got people. So I gotta ask. <laughs> nah, because we driving, like you know what I mean. So it's not it really. Oh no, sleeping. Okay. So I gotta ask because eight of us sleeping in a room, like you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so when when Drop a Gem on them came out, and I first heard that on a mixtape. I mean, that was like at the not even at the hype, but at the beginning of what would soon become. A very unnecessary, you know, fabled, talked about uh, East-West rivalry thing, which you guys were, like, caught dead in the middle. What was what was your reaction? Because I, I know, I mean, in hindsight, I know that Tupac was just basically, like, just calling out any and every name. I mean... Even De La Soul and the Fugees got. <laughs> I was like, "What are they? <laughs> what they didn't what did they to do about it?" Right. right, exactly. So I know they were just calling out. He was just calling out any and everyone. But when you first heard, when you first heard hit him up, like, what was your reaction? Your feeling? Like, did y'all ever have a relationship with Tupac before? Nah, we never. We never met Pac. We've been in the same room a few times, but right. we didn't we didn't have any connection. We didn't know each other, like you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so so when uh you know when the hit 'em up shit came out, 
We was like, oh, shit, a word? So immediately, you know, I'm already thinking like, oh, he's standing up for Snoop. Because we just made a song going back at Snoop. And Pac is the brand new artist on, on Death Row. Oh, I forgot about New York. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I get it. I get it. Pac is the brand new artist on Death Row. So he feel like, he got to show y'all what I'm, I'm Death Row now. Look, watch out, Snoop. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll handle these niggas for you. Right. I'm the new artist. Let me, it's my job to do this. You know what I'm saying? So that's how Pac mentality was, I think. You know what I mean? He was like, fuck that. He got to show and prove to Death Row. He's going to hold it down. You know what I'm saying? So he went at us. For Snoop, that's what I think. You know what I mean? And also, a lot of people say that uh, on an album on, on Survival, one of our homies, Havoc's cousin, he says in the chorus, Thug Life, we still living it. Thug Life, we still living it. Yeah. Like, on the chorus. Yeah. Um, we wasn't dissing Pac. That was just like a slang in the street. Like, the Thug Life. You know, oh, Pac, I, I never even Pac probably thought. Coined, right, yeah. <laughs> Pac probably coined the phrase. Right. But... It, it was a slang. You know adapting it, yeah, yeah. So this is what how we was talking, like you know what I mean. So I heard that Pac took offense to that, you know what I mean, because we were saying Thug Life, you still living it, you know what I mean. So not knowing you just adapting what he yeah, so pioneered. It, yeah, it wasn't no, it. we wasn't even taking no shots, right? So with drop drop a gem on him, it's like you know, for for most East Coast rappers, going to LA is like yo, that's some fun shit. I mean, at least for now. <laughs> now that the smoke is clear, <laughs> you know what I mean. But not back then. Yeah, like how I mean, to, just to be caught up in that shit. Were you guys like very cautious in coming to Los Angeles for fear of like some shit might go down, or was it just like um when uh when the L A L A and New York New York came out, and then Pac dropped hit him up. Um, our song L A L A was number one on L A radio. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, we had a big fan base in Cali early. You know what I'm saying? So we had fans out there, and the song became number one on L.A. radio, and they was requesting for us to fly out there and perform it. So we would fly into L.A. We would bring, like, all our boys with us, you know what I'm saying? And we would go perform this song. And we had the mentality, like, you know, yeah, we war ready. We're going to bring our niggas with us. Something pop off, we're going to pop off. Like, you know what I'm saying? That was our mentality. Like, you know what I'm saying? And we was out there performing that shit. You know what I mean? In the middle of all that. Damn. Oh, I'm glad nothing escalated. You know? Yeah, because, you know, it can get bad anywhere. LA's bad. New York is bad. Like, everybody bad. Like, you know what I mean? So it could have got nasty. You know what I mean? But, you know, it is what it is, man. Like, that's, I'm just saying how it went down. Like, you know what I mean? We True. were performing out there, the LA, LA record. And it felt weird, but we did it. It felt like, yeah, we was in danger, but we didn't give a fuck because we in danger back home, too. You know what I mean? When we hang out at the clubs, we hanging in the hood, our friends is getting shot. So what's the difference? Right. <laughs> That's how, that was our attitude. Like, you know what I mean? What's the difference? I don't give a fuck. Let's go perform. Like, I happened to read the source article uh, for your solo project when you were explaining that, you know, the whole Snoop crust the buildings line or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I got the perspective you were coming from, saying, like, basically, like, we out here on the front lines, you know, we're out here repping where we came from and that sort of thing. Right. So it's just the 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 whole takeover situation. Like, in hindsight, I mean, how do you feel? Like, have you guys spoken since, or is it just, like, is it water under the bridge now? Or Yeah, it's basically, you know, water under the bridge. Of course, we still... 
we still got that little, you know, competition <laughs> in us. Like, we still be looking at it like, yeah, and then, like, you know, Jay don't really fuck with nobody. He don't do songs with nobody, like, barely. Mm-hmm. I was surprised when Jay did the joint with Fabulous. I was like, oh, shit. He did the joint with Fab, yo. Right. That's dope. You know what I'm saying? I was happy for Fab when that happened. But, you know, Jay don't do songs with nobody. So it was like... Well, that- I know that him and Nas sort of, you know, people basically see take over as a, as a Nas-Jay-Z situation. So but- let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me start from the top, right? Right. I was already thinking, when I first heard Jay say that line, I was in a club in Queens. And it was, it was all my boys, and I heard the song Money Cash Holes was playing in the club. I was like, oh, this is dope. That beat is crazy. With the piano shit, right? Right. So I heard the line. I was like, because, you know, we listen to, we, like, really be scrutinizing rap. Like, yeah, lyrics. You know what I mean? We yeah. be like, what he just said? You know what I'm saying? Who he talk about? Like, what? <laughs> what? You know what I mean? We be overanalyzing shit. Like, so when I heard that shit, I was like, huh? I caught that shit right away. I was like, New York been Snoop ever since Snoop came through. And I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? So, you know, the thought just went past my head. So I ain't think nothing of it really after that. And um, I was in the office one day at Loud, and Pun was there, Fat Joe was there. And I was just kicking in the office, chilling, and I overheard Fat Joe said, yo, you heard that line? He was talking to somebody. Yo, you heard that line Jay said, New York been so far? I was like, word, son, I feel the same way, my nigga. <laughs> 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 I was like, yo, that's crazy you said that, son. I feel the same way, yo. He's like, word, that's kind of crazy he said that. So, you know, um, when when doing the Source, I did the Source interview, and I was like, man, Jay-Z a bitch-ass nigga for saying that. Like, how you going to say that? Like, you know what I mean? That was some bitch-ass nigga shit to say that. Like, come on, man. Cut it out, man. Like, we was holding it down. We was out there performing. We risking our life. Like, it was serious. Like, you know what I'm saying? And now right. you come years later saying some shit. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just rap, nigga. Why are you talking about that? Right. That has nothing to do with you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just rap, nigga. So I was pissed. And, you know, I was on my bullshit. You know what I'm saying? When I was young, I was on my bullshit. I feel so I said I said something. I was like, he a bitch-ass nigga for saying that. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, he he. I got the word back from Dame Daz. Dame was like, yo, Jay was, you know, Jay said, you know, he, he wished you just would have reached out and spoke to him instead of saying it in the magazine. I'm like, man, whatever, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So then... uh. I actually had a conversation with Nas, right? Right before this um, article, I had a conversation with Nas. And because uh, uh, Meek, Meek, what's his nigga name? Mm. Memphis Bleak. Um, Memphis Bleak was taking shots at Nas. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, he was fall, if you fall, I can help you out. Or, he was just saying it's, little slick shit here and yeah, there. It's a line on He was like, your life is written. Who you kidding? Some shit like that, whatever. So, you know. Bleak. I, I took offense to that. Anybody talking about Nas, I'm mm-hmm. taking offense to it. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, everybody, you know, Queensbridge, like, that's the crew. That's that's our crew. Right. So, I talked to Nas one day. I was like, yo, son. I was like, you heard you heard, you hear these niggas? And he was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I ain't worried about that shit, though. I was like, yo, son, man, fuck that. Let's go at these niggas, son. What's up? He like, nah, he like, nah, fuck them niggas, B. Don't go at them niggas, man. Fuck them niggas. niggas ain't nobody. I'm like, yo, son, fuck that. Let's go at these niggas. These niggas trying to pop shit, son. You hear this shit? They popping mad shit. He's like, man, fuck. I'm telling you, man, fuck that shit, man. That shit ain't about nothing. So I'm like, all right, I'm so you just, were egging him. I'm on. like, yo, I'm gonna just do it by myself then. Fuck it. He was like, all right. <laughs> so then, right. You no, know, that's when I did the article shit. Said the shit about him, blah blah blah. And then he do the summer jam shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He, uh So how that happened is. Uh, Irv Gotti is cool with uh, you know, with Jay. 
Right. And uh, Ashanti used to go to my grandma's dance school. You know what I'm saying? Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, and uh, at the time, we had did a song with Vita called Burn. You know, we was like, that was my shit. Yeah, we was going at it with Jay. Like, we was going at it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. I was going at it with Jay. Like, little shit on mixtapes. I wasn't taking it as serious. I wasn't, like, being, like, a rapper, like, being, like, I got to write some bars. Like, I was on some writing, like, nigga, when we see you, we gonna beat you up. We gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot you in your foot, nigga. You always gonna remember that shit. Like you know what I'm saying? Like that was my mentality. I'm not even thinking like I, I gotta write immaculate balls. I gotta make an ill battle rap. Like I'm not even thinking like that at all. I'm just thinking like, hey, nigga, we gonna fuck you up. Yeah, that's, that's all that's on my mind. Like yo, nigga, I'm just writing like, nigga, I'm angry writing like, we gonna fuck you. We see this nigga. <laughs> so fucking um, you know what I'm saying? So um. We did a song with Vita called Burn. Right. And um, Vita signed, you know, to Irv Gotti. So it's time to shoot the video for Burn. And, you know, Burn is getting a lot of play. Flex is playing the shit out of his record. It, it, it becomes a hit. And we time to shoot the video. We, we holler at, and, and we get a word from Vita that she can't do the video. So I called her because mm. I was like, me and Vita was kicking it. You know what I'm saying? So I had mm-hmm. a number. I'm called her. I'm like, yo, what's going on? She's like, yo, P, let me tell you. She was like, Irv told me I can't do the video because Jay, you know, was like, yo, don't let her do that. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, they hating on you over there right now. And I, this, that, and the third. She was like, I can't, I'm sorry, I, I can't do the video. I'm like, word, they really did that? She was like, yeah. She was like, they over there, like, you know what I'm saying? Jay, like, don't let her do it. So I'm like, all right, it's cool. I understand. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. So, Vita never got in the video with us because of that. Right. So then, the whole Summer Jam shit happened, and he puts this picture up, me dressed like Michael Jackson. You know, I thought I was Michael Jackson when I was a little kid. Who didn't? Think right, so, I was like, we all did. We all right. thought we did. So, <laughs> right away, I knew where it came from, right away. Uh, you know, right. put two and you two put together. Two and two together. Immediately. Right. I was like, oh, wow, he did some real ill other shit, like... He went and got a picture. Like, right. <laughs> he lied on the picture, said it was Prodigy 1989 or some shit. Like, you know what I mean? He lied about the year. Um, so whatever. I thought it was funny. You know what I'm saying? Like, my nigga was in, in the audience at Summer Jam, my man Ella G. He called me like, yo, P, you not, I told you that picture was going to come back to haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> G had seen the pictures years ago and shit when we was, like, working on music. He was right. l- looking through the books. He's like, oh, shit, look at this shit. So whatever, he's like, yo, I told you that picture would come back to haunt you. I was like, what you talking about? He said, yo, son, Jay just put your picture up at Summer Jam. I'm like, what? So now we dying laughing on the phone, right? So now I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So I'm like, all right, that's what's up. He got jokes. He got jokes. All right, cool. It's funny. You know what I'm saying? And that was that. And then he made, you know, he was going at Nas and and me. Mm-hmm. He was like, as Nas, you don't want it with hoes. So basically he's talking to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, as Nas, you don't want it with hoes, this, that. I got money stacks bigger than you and all this shit. He talk about me the whole song. You know what I'm saying? Right. He took a little jab at Nas, but he's talking about me the whole song. So um, now I'm like, all right, this is it. Fuck that. <laughs> it's war now. It's war. Like, God right. damn it. You know what I'm saying? Fuck this shit. Fuck this nigga. Fuck everybody they down with. Da, 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 da. So, you know, I was on my shit. And um, 
Nas dropped Ether. You know what I'm saying? And it just, I was like, whoa. He was, took it serious. He took the right. beef and, you know what I'm saying? Making to the, the next song. level. Yeah, I was like, oh, he, I wouldn't have wrote no shit like that. I was too, <laughs> I was too angry. Uh, I was just mad. I wanted to catch this nigga like, and do something to him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Did you ever talk to Nas after he did either about that? Because like, he changed his mind. And then he changed his mind to a major extent. So what was he thinking? Was it that he got mad for the attack on you or the mad for the attack oh, on nah, him? I think, Nas, I think Nas did either. Well, you also had to defend his title. <laughs> yeah, on. yeah. I think Nas did either and... A song called Build and Destroy. Number one, because Jay mentioned his name. So he like, all right, now fuck that. And plus we was I, me and Nas was already talking about. I was like, yo, let's go at these niggas. Like, you know what I'm saying? But now I guess he heard that song and that drew the line. He was like, man, fuck that. So he made a song called Build and Destroy also at that same time. And he shitted on me. Talking about yo, prodigy get robbed and all that. He was talking about Nas was saying some things that he doesn't have no idea what really happened. He thinks he knows, but he really doesn't know. So he was someone I got robbed, just standing third, and da, da, da. And at the end of the song, he apologized to me. Like, yo, P, at the you end my, of the song? Yo, P, I love you, man. Just get away from them fake-ass niggas. That's what he say on the song. Like, you know what I'm saying? After he just shitted on me the whole fucking verse. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, yo, where did this come from? Oh, he ain't hit you like, yo, I got this joint building destroyed. I was about just the- in the studio with him. Like, I was mad that they was rapping about Nas. I'm like, yo, yo, fuck that. Let's go at these niggas. They rapping about you, son. You know what I'm saying? And now he got a song dissing me. Great. I'm like, where did this come from? I don't have no beef with Nas. I hate to ask this. What album is that on? Nah, uh, it was on, was it Stillmatic? Yeah. I think I think Building Strong was on Stillmatic. Really? I think. Don't, I gotta re-listen. Gotta so then up, but, I found out that Nas was mad at me because I did a song with Core Mega. Right, and and I didn't when I did the Which song. Which is with one Mega, of my favorite fucking Mob Deep songs uh, on Murder Music, right? Did you know? No, 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 no. It was one of Mega songs. Oh, oh okay. When I did the song with Core Mega. He didn't have a verse on it. It was just a beat. I went, wrote my verse to it. I left. When he puts the song out, he writes his whole verse dissing Nas. Oh. So I didn't know that. Kind of a 4-3-2-1 situation. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know that. So then I found out later, that's why Nas, I guess he thought my verse was about him because he heard... That's far from the truth. You know what I'm saying? I I didn't... I never... So did Nas eventually find out that... I guess Cormega from, changed his verse without you even knowing. I guess years later, after me being oh vocal God. about it and talking oh. about it, like, y'all are I mean, bad communicators. That's why, <laughs> that's why I wrote. That's why I wrote the book because it, it's so. The story is so much complex pieces to everything. I want people to understand how everything transpired and how it went down without that communicating. Was, yeah. That was the, one of the main reasons I wrote that book. And plus, I looked at it like this is my youth. I'm a grown man now. That book is my youth. Mm-hmm. That's my youth. That's me growing up. Right. I'm a grown man now. I'm not like that no more. You know what I mean? I was very hard-headed and ignorant and on my bullshit. And I grew up. So I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to write a book. And I'm going to just like, you know, I'm going to explain how I grew up. And I'm going to explain certain situations for people so they can understand why this happened. How did that happen? How did you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was so many questions. And I'm sure the fans want to know, why is y'all beefing? Why did this, how did this start? What did that was the main reason I wrote this book because I want people to have a clear picture of how it actually went down. Like, so do you know y'all pick up phones now? Oh yeah, I see Nas every again. I just seen him recently at New York Fashion Week. We kicked it like you know what I'm saying, and we were talking about doing some new music together. So we cool. I don't got no problem with Nas. We never really had a problem. I was gonna say, how come like a Queensbridge like 
just summit meeting album never went down. Like in my it's head, too many, it's too y'all could have been y'all. It's too many. Yeah, it's too many egos. It's too many people. Like just thinking, like Mob Deep, Nas, like Nori, like I, I mean, yeah, like eight. Some of the most incredible ass MCs. Yo, one day, um, I was on the phone with Pharrell, and Pharrell was like, um, our first conversation ever. No, actually, our second conversation. He was on the phone, and he was like, "Yo, B, I gotta ask you something." He was like, "What's wrong with y'all, Queensbridge <laughs> niggas? So why don't y'all fucking stick together and just do music, my nigga? What's wrong with y'all niggas, yo? Like, I'm like, yo, son." Yeah, I, it just is. It is what it is, my nigga. It's just hood shit. Like that's what happens, man. Everybody don't get along. I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to be lovey dovey and picture perfect, but it's not like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the uh, what's the deal now with? Um, I'm thinking about other Queensbridge cats like Mega Nature, Littles, Bars and Hooks. Like, what's what's yeah, the status they, of all them now? They all doing their thing. You know what I mean? They doing their thing, and you know we doing our thing, and that's it. Just is what it is. Everybody just doing their own separate thing. Like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, especially for me, I look at it, I went through a lot of shit, you know what I mean, just like being out there, because I'm like an outside out there, you know what I'm saying? So, a lot of people treated me like that. They were like, he ain't from the hood. I always had to deal with that attitude a little bit. A lot of people might have been scared to say it, or they didn't want to say it, but I could just feel it, you know what I mean? And a lot of people did say it, so it, it kind of turned me off a little bit and made me really want to just do my own thing, like... I never said I was from Queensbridge. I always said I'm from Hempstead. Like you know what I'm saying? And these a lot of a lot of different people from Queensbridge would like to would like to have you think that I'm a fake queen. Like I, I like I say I'm from Queensbridge. Like P ain't really from the hood. Like I never said I was. Yeah. You just want people to think that. Like you know what I'm saying? Stop putting right. that in people's minds. Like you know what I'm saying? So I had to deal with that attitude all the time with a lot of rappers, a lot of regular people in the hood or whatever, whatever. So it kind of turned me off and made me just like, you know what? I kind of I kind of see. My, I'll just do my own shit because I got to show. It, it, it made me like I have to show you now that I don't care about right. nothing, none of this. I'm my own person. I'm my own entity. Y'all don't control anything I do. Y'all don't scare me. I don't give a fuck if it's from Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queensbridge, Jamaica, Queens, L.A. I don't give a fuck where you from. This is my life. Everybody live their life. And I don't live my life in fear. You know what I'm saying? So it made me back up over everybody. It made me back up over everybody and just want to do my own thing, man. That's why I started doing, you know, my own shit, man. Because I started dealing with a lot of that, a lot of that, you know, just just weird shit. People like, he's not from out here. You know don't, what I'm saying? don't you think it's ironic that like amongst that all those MCs who look at you like that in that way it's like now they're raising children who, and they're bringing them up in a way that you were brought up in your childhood like culturally and all this stuff and I even thought that now with looking at the, the video you doing ballet I'm like that now that we have the context of where that come from it adds to the dopeness of who you are Right. and now I look at even a Blue Ivy and I'm like that's her that's she's her, growing yeah. up <laughs> in real. that environment right. so do you see that now as clearly and um, I just think that, you know, it's not everybody, everybody's not a bad person. Like, everybody didn't have that attitude. It was only certain particular people. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just, it just is what it is, man. I'm me, man, you know what I'm saying? And I, I'm the type of person, I was trying to get everybody together. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm that type of person. I'm like, yo, all right, come on, you going to rap. We made Noid and Twin and everybody rap. Like, you know what I'm saying? We was like, nah, you going to rap, nigga. And Noid like, I don't want to sell drugs. I don't want to rap. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's like, no, come to the studio with us. Come on. You're going to rap, son. You know what 
know what I'm saying? I used to help Noy write his shit, you know what I'm saying? And we used to all help each other, you know what I'm saying? And then it was just like, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm that type of person to try to, you know, keep the team strong and keep everybody together. I shot a movie for Queensbridge, you know what I mean, called Murder Music. I put everybody's in the movie, Nas, everybody's in that motherfucker. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's the type of person I am, you know what I'm saying? Like, I try to do shit the right way, get it together. And then you got niggas that's haters. They don't want to see that. Like, they like, P ain't even from out here. Why is P doing that? I should be doing they that. They shouldn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, All right, so you're listening to Questlove Supreme. We're into our last hour of Prodigy of Mob Deep. And Kathy Yandali, journalist and co-author of Prodigy's latest book, Commissary Kitchen, My Infamous Prison Cookbook. And we'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsor. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money... What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. So I, f- I feel like your journey is probably, you of anyone has had a kind of a parallel journey to that of like Malcolm X, where like you you had your Detroit Red 
experience. Literally. <laughs> right. Oh, damn. That's right. <laughs> it didn't even hit me. Yeah, like you 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 had your your Malcolm Little Detroit Red experience. And then in 2008 when you had to do your bid um you know, you said and that 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 really changed you. Yeah, that just saved my life. Yeah, ex- explain that cuz what I want to know and I'm trying to ask in a way because I know a lot of people have a tendency, especially in the press, they have a tendency to like fetishize jail. <laughs> yeah, like or just like people that had experience. So tell me what it was like or whatever. But I'm I'm personally curious, like to be a celebrity going into that environment, like what is it what is your first day like when you're when you're going there? Um, all right, let me let me just back up a little bit and say because I always think of shit, I always think about people's comments when they, you know, what I mean, hear the podcast or like people right. what, what they say, and a lot of people like to say like, why is he talking about all this? It's over. It's in the past. Like, right. why you keep saying this? Like, because this is the questions I'm being asked, <laughs> so I have to answer these you, questions. You can preface like, it. All right, you know what I'm saying. Now, I just want to make that clear real quick for the listeners to shut all that comment shit down. Like. I'm being asked questions. That's why I'm talking about this. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, right. and um, you know, I wrote a book about my life and my youth. I wrote a book about my youth. And my book, it talks about all these things. And, you know what I mean? That's my past. I'm a grown man now. You know what I'm saying? So I put my I put my youth out there for the people so they could see all the fucked up shit. And how I grew up and all the fucked up shit that I did and been through. And, you know what I mean? All the good shit and what got me to this point. Um, so that's why I did this book. That's why I do these interviews and talk about past things a lot because these are questions that people ask and they want to know the answers to. So going when I got locked up, um, it was the best thing that happened to me because at this time I was dealing with a lot of hatred coming from people, from certain people from Queensbridge. You know what I mean? Certain people from, uh, you know, wherever, wherever, but mostly from Queensbridge, a couple individuals that I had a few problems with that they just didn't like me. You Wait, know can I saying? ask a quick question? So after the infamous, are you still living in the Queensbridge area, or did you like we we move we probably out moved of... we probably moved like around right after infamous came out. You know, what I mean, I was living with Hav in Queensbridge for like two years when we was working on the infamous. You know what I'm saying? Right. We would stay at his crib, or we would take the equipment back to Long Island, Hempstead, change the scenery for a little while, then we'd go back to Queensbridge. Like you know what I'm saying? So. After the infamous drop and we was doing tours and shit, we kind of like, but we would still go back all the time because that's why our people was on the block. You know what I mean? And we grew up with the mentality you don't shit on your people. You, okay. You always take care of your people. Like, you know what I mean? You don't run away from problems. You don't run away from anything. You deal with it. You face it. You know what I mean? And you deal with the shit. That's how we grew up. So that's why I was still there in, the, in these communities dealing with my peoples that I grew up with, my peers, because I'm not the type of person that's going to run away from shit that I got to deal with. Like, you know what I'm saying? So right. I, we were just learning how to navigate uh, being celebrity and all that shit. And so still, it was never awkward going back there, even though you're obviously established as a celebrity rapper? And- nah, because that was just like home base. That was like the block. You know what I'm saying? We go to the block, have fun, like drink all night. We used to, I used to fall asleep on the bench, wake up in the morning, little kids going to school. You know what I'm saying? Like right. I'm bent waking up, like oh shit, like you know what I mean? So it's just like that was the block. That's what that's why our friends is at. We made something monumental mm-hmm. from this block. We created 
infamous Mob Deep. We created all this shit. So this is our shit. This is our people. Like, this is our home team. So that's how our mentality was. But, um, you know, after a while, you know, we deal with a lot of jealousy. People be like, uh, well, P coming right here with a jury on. You know, ain't from out here. Right. Oh, nigga rapping about my life. Why are you rapping about my life? Like, that's what they like to say. Like, you know what I'm saying? You rapping mm-hmm. about my life. Everybody likes to say that. That's so crazy. But anyway, I was dealing with people that didn't grow up with me. Havoc grew up with all these people. You know, all I, Noid, Twin, they grew up with all these niggas. I didn't grow up with these people. You know what I'm saying? So they don't know me. I don't really know them. We figuring out each other. I'm seeing who scared, who not, who's putting pressure on people. Who doing this? I'm like, oh, word, that's how these niggas get down. I'm like, oh, word, that's how this out here in the world. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm learning. That's, I'm a kid still. Like, I'm learning as I go. And, uh, you know, we got to the point where we was just dealing with a lot of jealousy and we had to click up. We had to strap up. Like, you know what I mean? It's on. Like, right. we had to strap up. Like, we got beef with niggas that shoot people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, these niggas shoot people. Like, and that's it. So they cut people, shoot people. Like, that's what we was dealing with. So, I'm protecting myself. You know what I mean? I would carry a hammer. I'm not out doing no harm to nobody. You know what I mean? At this point in my life, I'm just protecting myself. So, you know, it just got bad, man. It got to the point where, you know, I started just just losing it, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? So much neg- negative thoughts. So much all the time just ready to shoot somebody. Every time I get out of my car and walk into my crib or what, whatever, I'm like, all right, is somebody going to try to run up on my car or like, be in the bushes? or like, mm-hmm. I'm on point, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, certain shit that we used to do to people back in the days, we was bad kids. Like, we was bad growing up in high school. We was, you we feel was, like karma would come back? Yeah, we was foul niggas. We was doing foul shit to people. Like, we was robbing people, doing foul, you know, young, young shit. Right. So I got the mentality already, like, that's how niggas get down. And I'm not going to let that happen to me. So I'm, I'm like, you know, Carrying guns, I'm dealing with this mentality all the time. And that shit rots your fucking brain and your your spirit. That shit rots. You keep thinking like that and keep living like that and moving like that, it just takes away from your spirit, man. It just makes you a, a foul person after a while. Like, you know what I mean? Because you're dealing with all this negativity and people saying they're going to do this to me when they see me and making threats. And, and then I got to... Stand up for myself, like, nigga, you ain't doing nothing when you see me. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's just what it was. So, unfortunately, this is the, you know, the, the, the crazy life that I was growing up living in, the shit that I had to deal with. And it got to the point where, you know, I was just out of control, man. Smoking mad weed, just drinking heavily. Like, I, was, I already learned that shit fucks up my sickle cell when I do that. But I was so angry and just wanting to hurt somebody. Just always... Trigger finger itchy, like ready to show a nigga, like mm-hmm. don't play with me. Like I'm, I'm just trying. I'm going about my business, doing my music, I'm making my money. Don't come over here playing with my life. You know what I'm saying? Because you're gonna find out what happens. So this is my mentality every day, and that's just started to, like I said, it started to rot away in my spirit, my brain, and everything was just like, uh, it felt disgusting, and I didn't realize how disgusting it was until I, I got caught with the gun in my car and got locked up and I just started thinking about everything. Like, damn, just just living that life and just not thinking and being young-minded and 
it was just it was just bad. It wasn't good, man. It was I was I was gonna eventually get killed, or some or I was gonna kill somebody or hurt out, and I would have went to jail. One or the other was definitely gonna happen. That was definitely for sure, one thousand percent gonna happen. Eventually, if I didn't go to jail, you know what I'm saying? It was like serious. Um, and it's sad to say it's like that. You know what I mean? And I know a lot of people will listen to this interview, like like I said on the album, like you know what I mean? Pete think he tough. Pete talking tough. Nah, you real. This, you know I don't think it's, I don't think it's tough. I nah, think... but I like to address the people that think that, so they can hear me say that. So save your little Pete think he tough comment because I'm already ahead of you, dog. I know that's what you're thinking. I, I doubt our nerd you know ass listeners like, will be. <laughs> we, we, we have a bunch of nerds listening to our shit. So. Some people they hear that and they be like, "Oh, this you know this guy think he's talking tough. He's trying to make his he's trying to portray his life that something that's not." I'm just being honest with nah, you. This you is know, what it was. I really like, thank you, know you for this because the thing is that hip hop really doesn't allow for its figures to come uh, in a kind of a three-dimensional flesh and blood tone. Like, this is the first time I'm really hearing your story. Like, I've known of you for 20-plus years as an artist, and I've read lots of articles, but, you know, I've never, ever known about your life or your experiences. Like, this is the first time I'm really, really, really hearing you as a human being, even speaking complete sentences. So, no, 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 I... I mean, I think the contrary. I think, if anything, you know, it's it's more you really showing a a a, a human side to your life journey and your experiences. You know, yeah, I, I was going down a bad a bad road, man, because it was just like shit was escalating, the drama was escalating, the 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 threats people were making threats to us, right, was escalating. Like it was getting really crazy, and especially we had the G Unit deal and. The money got even bigger. A lot of people was like, oh, these niggas are stupid. Why they signed a 50? They, now they looking at us like we stupid. They don't even understand that we got a relationship with 50. Like, you know what I'm saying? 50 from Southside. Just like my family. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got friends in common. You know what I mean? That, right. Like, me and 50 got friends in common. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it was just meant to be. You know what I'm saying? He got in a position where he was able to put you on, reach back and to some of his favorite artists or whatever and he was like mob deep come on you coming with me you know what i'm saying come on we was like hold up <laughs> you know what i'm saying like well, what are we gonna get out of this <laughs> you know what i mean and he was like you're gonna get this you're gonna get this you're gonna get this we was like where do we sign up you know what i'm saying like we was like where do we sign up it's i was a queen's thing i was one of the, i was one of the people uh it's funny i i was one of the people like years ago uh that i wrote a review it wasn't even a review i was just on our little website and I was talking about the album. I know. And I for know. Me it was I know exactly you know what you're going. <laughs> Which one? It was okay. I was on the lawn. It was like just oh, the Justice League the lawn, side. right? But then the lawn, the lawn. But then it went to OK Player. Okay. Now, and said, so and then some fly shit, you remember the lawn? No, I was just dude. I'm on my message, but we just talking whatever. I'm like, man, ain't nobody gonna read this shit. It's like 30 people here, whatever. <laughs> then the shit goes OK Player. Then like two, three days later is. XXL, Fonte, this is mob. I was like, what the fuck? Are you serious? So then, like a couple years later, it was I guess it was right before you went in, uh, and like he wrote he wrote a blog. He was like, 
You know what I'm saying? He was he was like dissing me back. I was like, okay, well that's <laughs> fuck it. I, I, I never knew y'all had. Yeah, yeah, he didn't know what's going right. on. <laughs> so <laughs> so then like that's like four guests in a row. Right. Right. I, 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 so so in a salon. <laughs> so so yeah, it means it's a salon, dude. It was Son, it was Twitter. Go, go, it goes go so get, crazy. Don't get in the elevator. With. <laughs> <laughs> so so and me and you, this is our first time like really talking talking. Like we met like once. I met you once at Al's crib like yeah, years yeah. ago, but um. But yeah, but we was uh this first time we really talked, and so afterwards, um, the joint came out, and I, then you did the blog, and then you went on your in your bid. Yeah. So then uh, Al was on tour with us for a minute. We was touring. Um, it was LB, little brother, and uh, Evidence was with us, and he brought Al with him. And so me and Al on the bus, like we just chopping it up about everything. We just right. talking whatever. And he was he asked me like he's like yo the the album like yo why you go? I was like dog. It wasn't that. I said first off. I did, you know, they were listening back to it like at that point. Man. I said it was better, much like phonology. I think it aged better than it was than it did. If you know I can critique the my the album myself, you know what I'm saying? When I when I read what you had said, it made me think. That shit hit me. I was like, he said he said, We got rich and stop trying. Damn, Fonte. So wait, so wait. When I suggested <laughs> yesterday, when I suggested, oh, Prodigy gonna be on the show. <laughs> your first thought was, I was like, I was like, Prodigy. Uh, I was like, yeah, okay, but but I knew it wasn't gonna be nothing. I mean, you usually prep as if it's real beef. Yeah, you didn't nah, prep. It was no prep. Nah, come on. Nah, that ain't, but the thing was, ain't I was just like, it's not yo. like my beef with Q-Tip. Right, it ain't like that. That that could have been real. But when but, you said, look, when you said that. It made me think, like, and being being locked up, that shit just made me think about everything. It made me think about life, decisions that we were making, just everything. Because, you know, I'm sitting there without nothing else to do but think. So I'm not just thinking about my whole life and decisions we made, business decisions. And then I read, I read that, and I would listen to the album and hear other people talk about, it was mad we signed a G on it. But, that, but you were coming from a different perspective. There was other people that was like, just mad we signed a G and they like y'all mobbed it. Yo, I was I was on A Street one day mm-hmm. and this old black lady, she had to be like 70 years old. She seen me. She was like, Prodigy? <laughs> no. I was like, yeah. She was like, yo, why the fuck y'all signed a G on it? I said, oh shit. Man, that shit shocked the hell out of me. I was, like, I was like, yo, she was like, y'all mob deep. Y'all supposed to be just mob deep. You don't sign to nobody else. I'm like, yo, it's just a business move. Like, 50 yeah, yeah. your homie. Like, it's a Queens thing. She was like, nah, nah. She was upset about that shit. And I think, and I think shit. that's I what shocked. it was as thought, a fan. I thought it like, made sense. For me, because like, I thought he was from Queens. They from Queens. He looking out. I, I got that. I guess just for me at that time as a fan. I mean, Grant, this is 10 years ago. You know what I mean? We right. all have grown or whatever since then. But my thing was, because y'all was coming off the um the free agents joint. Right. And that was my shit. I was like, yo. Actually, we was coming off um. Uh, America's Nightmare. America's Nightmare. Yeah. Was it? Was it? Yeah, yeah. On Jive. Yeah, that's right. It was Jive. That's right. Uh, it was. Because we went from Jive to G on it. The science joint. Yeah, I love the joint. And so with that, I was just like, I mean, the stuff that y'all was doing with Alchemist, particularly like you and Alchemist, just the chemistry y'all yeah. had and still have, like with Return of the Mac and shit, I was like, yo, they just do that. I'm like, man, they, so them, so for me, just coming from that perspective where I said the Got Rich Stop Trying, I was just like, man, like, to me, it just felt like like I understood on paper and like business wise why it worked. Right. But just to me, just as a true hardcore fan, I was just like, and man, I right. think they could have just did them. And I when think- I thought about it, I was like, you was right. <laughs> wow. Because I'm, I'm sitting there listening to I, yo, I, I examined that album 
That G Unit album we did so much. And what I got out of it is when I when I was in jail, when I was just like listening to it and listening to it and trying to figure out why people were saying things that they were saying, and I was like, I was like, okay. The first thing that I noticed that it was too much G Unit on the album. They was on almost every song. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that while we're making, oh, making it, it. We were yeah. just having fun. Like, oh, shit, yeah, come on. Do this. Oh, Buck, come on, Buck, get on this song. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yo, Banks, get on this one. Like, you know what I'm saying? We're not even thinking. Like, there you go. We just like, having fun moving. So, but, you know, being in jail, sitting there with nothing to do, I'm just like listening, analyzing the album. I'm like, oh, okay. It's too, they on too many songs. Not only that, but it was it was too many, like, beats from like outsiders that wasn't really like mob deep sounding beats, you know right. what I mean? But we didn't realize that while we sitting there making it. We was like so caught up on G5 with on going on tour with M. We like, you know, we were just living a high life. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we was already used to, you know, having fun, living that life on the road, but now it was just like living that life on steroids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? With the and interscope the money now yeah. and the big budget and the private jets and the arenas every night. Like, you know what I mean? So we was just lost, man. Like we we was lost at that point. Like you know what I mean. And I was officially lost because I'm already I already got the attitude. Like um, I got to defend myself. Like there's mad threats going on. So the threats is even higher now because they know we got bread. They know we, you know, we're 50. I bought a bulletproof truck. I'm like, these niggas, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, 50 moving right. I'm about to do the same thing because I'm, we getting threats like that. And we kind of got beef with like the same niggas almost. Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, you know, I just wasn't living right. So not living right plus access to all of that, you know, money and high life. It was just like... A recipe for disaster. You know what I'm saying? I was I was gone. I was gone, dog. You know what I mean? Like I I was gone. So I had to get locked up. That first that first week or the first day, like it is is the goal just to be under the radar and do your time or like for people that are notable and and doing time. Is there a thing where the judge is like, okay, I know, because I know in Tupac's case. He was, they gladly threw him in gym pop. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, you go to gym pop. No, no protection. You know what I'm saying? So is it a thing where, like, what is your goal or what is your thought mentality that first week there? Especially I mean, with your condition, which leads to the book, uh, which. When I, when I got locked up, when I realized I had to go to jail and serve, you know, three and a half years and I got locked up, I was like, all right. Let me deal with this. I got I, I to do this time. You know what I'm saying? And I went in there with the attitude like, you know, I don't want to make friends. I'm, like you said, fly under the radar, do my time, get the fuck out of there, get my shit. And I went in there with the mentality to get my shit together because I already knew what my problem was. I already knew what the downfall was as far as, like, street shit I was going through and my health and mm-hmm. just my spirituality. I, I was My spirit wasn't right. You know what I mean? So I... I went in there with the plans to get my spirit together, get my body together, get my health in order, come and try to come out a better person. So I really went in there and went to school with my. I went to school to how, learn myself. How much time did you have to prepare from the time that you're sentenced to the, the time that you're going in? Because I know that um, you, you have a family to take care of and that sort of thing. So it's it, like it was about maybe a few months, like three, four months, maybe. Okay. You know what I mean? And um, 
yeah, I went in there with the attitude like I'm I'm going in here to get my shit together. I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna discipline myself as far as diet, as far as uh, you know, um, just spirituality. My my thoughts. You know what I mean? I started reading a lot of books on, you know, your thought patterns and, you know, if you have negative thoughts, change it immediately into something positive. And once you practice, when you practice that, it becomes normal. You know what I'm saying? Once mm-hmm. you practice getting rid of the negative thoughts, as soon as you think it, it becomes normal. And just, you know, everything, man, just getting better with myself and just trying to become a better person. And like I said, I was listening to the albums and, Seeing what we did wrong, what we was doing right, I was just analyzing everything. Like, and um, it took me some time to adjust because I was writing blogs and, you know, what I mean, still popping shit and talking crazy shit. But then, after a while, I started being like, oh, okay, I'm going about this all wrong. You know what I'm saying? I gotta, I gotta be more, you know, I gotta be more humble, humbling. Like, you know what I'm saying? And humble myself and calm down. And you know what I'm saying? Um, I was sitting in the day room one day with my one of my young homies in there. His name's Fresh. And we watching BET, and somebody video came on. And I was man, that shit is garbage. You like this shit? He was like, Yo, P, why you say everything is garbage when you hear it? Like, <laughs> like give people a chance, huh? He was like, Why you don't give nobody a chance? Like, when he said he said he was dead serious and said it just like that. Now he made me look at myself. I never thought about that. I was like, I was like, Damn, you right? Like, I never like. I was like, You right? He was like, Yo, the dude just trying to get his money, my nigga. Like, everybody, you know, not the same. You, everybody got different tastes. Just let that man get his money. Like, stop shitting on everybody. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it made me, that shit made me, that shit changed me. I was like, oh, I was like, I never thought of it like that. Somebody, nobody ever said that to me before. You know what I'm saying? They were just letting me be me. No one challenged you. Right. They never said, yo, what's wrong with you? Shit, like, why you shut the fuck up? Like, you know what I'm saying? Let that, like let that man get his money. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was, it made me look at myself. I felt stupid when he said that. You know what I mean? I was like, damn, I had the wrong attitude this whole time. You know what I'm saying? Now, how does how does someone survive in that system with uh, dietary restrictions? Like, is it possible to be a vegan in jail or a vegetarian? And does the private prison complex even allow for those types of, of foods to for you to even have access to that well every or do they care every prison is different okay every prison allowed different things in every prison you know won't allow certain things in um so every prison is different one will let you know uh a whole chicken in the other they won't let you let it in you know what i mean it's just so oh it depends on what juice you have and yeah like the packaging the way it's packaged the way it's sealed the color on the packaging, like, every jail is different. It's real specific, you know what I mean, for each individual jail. Some jails you can have CDs. Other jails, you can't have CDs. You can only have cassettes. Some jails, you know what I mean? Cassettes? Like, yeah, they still in got 2009? cassettes. Yeah, they still got cassettes. In, in certain jails, you can only have cassettes because they— What CDs facilities? Are, CDs, what facilities you can, you can break a CD. Yeah. I was in Mid-State. Okay. I was in Mid-State. How far is that from— It's like uh, four, hour, four hours from here. Okay. Driving up, you know what I mean? And um yeah, so every every prison is different, the food that they that they serve, you know what I'm saying? And what they allow in the package from your family. It's all different. So um, you know, they have a special diet in prison for like kosher, kosher diet or halal diet, you know what I mean? You gotta prove that, you know, 
that's your religion and you got to have a special diet. Sugar? Sugar um, too? Because one of my prisoner friends asked me, were you going to do a book for the folks, to, I mean, for the non-sugar? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know too much about that. But uh, side note, uh, for the very few people in this room that know my day manager, Zara, she loves the shit out this book. Oh, because her, wow. her diet is that fucked up. Oh, wow. shout to she's Zara. like, she's like, wow. she's like ramen noodles. I like this. Mm. <laughs> like she saw it as like college survival food. I'm like, not quite. Not oh, right. somebody yeah, not, not quite forced to eat the shit. Okay. No, yes. right. Oh, it's yeah. like hipster. That's cute. Zara's, yeah. Zara, no, I mean, she's the type of person that it actually. Yes, she looked at it and was like, I'll take this. Oh, this is so cute. Exactly. It's from prison though. But uh, yeah, so so and bringing Kathy into this, how are you? Hey, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Forgot she was here. So what? Thanks, Bill. So, what what is the research process in trying these uh, these recipes out that you 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 made in the in the book and and I, I guess the trial and error of it all. Like, how do you even? I guess. With very little instru- uh, instruments or tools, you know, it it becomes you know creative creativity is, is your is your best instrument. So how do you test these things out to see what works and what doesn't work? Well, there's two like completely different parts of the cookbook. There's the the stuff that that P always cooked, mm-hmm. and then there's the stuff that most people in prison cook. So. You know, so were you allowed special? No, he just chose. Like, see, the thing that's kind of the thing that's pretty interesting about the the commissary kitchen cookbook is everything that was cooked was what you could purchase in commissary. But you know, P had been through what was it five different prisons in three years because he always had to have an infirmary like nearby. So you know, he was moved. But I think you spent the longest at Mid State, right? Yeah. Yep. So in doing that research. I went through the commissary that was available at Midstate to know what some of those items were. And then... So what's a typical meal? What's a typical breakfast? Well, a typical breakfast um, at Chow is different from... See, because, you know, they would give... Breakfast would be at 6, right? Mm -hmm. Lunch would be at 10. 6 a.m. Yeah. So you got to wake up at (laughs) 5... What was it like? Like quarter to 6? It'd be like 6.30. 6.30. Breakfast, and they go to yard at like 7... Yeah, lunch would be at 10, 4 o'clock was dinner, and you were done. So when you had— Jesus Christ. Yeah, so when it came to the commissary, that was the thing that, that people used to, to, fill, to fill them up for the rest of the day. Right. So if your family doesn't have a lot of money to fill the commissary, that's where you get those traditional prison meals, like mashing up Cheetos and pouring chili on them, because those are the cheapest things in commissary. Okay. And also there's um a, a pound limitation to what like family could mail you as well. And P would um make most of that um those deliveries of nothing but canned vegetables, but because they're in a can, they weigh more. So it wasn't like he was able to get like tons of spinach, you know, because he would mostly get spinach delivered like that. But it's by can. So they're cans not- are allowed? Can- yeah. Yeah. You can have cans. Even though, I mean, the potential of that being a weapon. Or yeah, you, the could, can, you could use the top as a razor. Yeah, as a knife, too. No, But, oh, but you can okay. get it taken away. It's so stupid. They won't allow CDs, but you can have a can. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, in, in, going through, in going through this book, you know, when we were going through some of the recipes that he actually made, um, 
there was just this whole other part that, you know, I feel is like this this voyage to culture of people wanting to know about those kinds of traditional prison meals and in doing that research and, and seeing some of those things. And the thing that I thought was really important about putting it in the book was, you know, on Pete's first day, he had food poisoning because one of the inmates wanted to make him a welcome meal, which was one of those traditional prison dishes. But Pete's stomach obviously wasn't trained to that. It's like going to Mexico and drinking the water, right. you know? <laughs> what meal was it? Prison, for our listeners out there. Prison Surprise, which is um, Jack Mac mashed up Cheetos to make a cheese sauce, mm-hmm. poured over like ramen, right? Mm-hmm. It was something like that. And um, and by the end of the night, he had an IV in his arm. <laughs> so because, you know, he wasn't used to eating. And I mean, the I thing sweat, is... I woke up sweating bullets, throwing up. I, it fucked me up, yeah. Yeah, and, and you learn about certain things in doing this research uh, where, like, for example... They only give you fruit punch and iced tea, but if you want water, they give you an empty jug and you have to go get it. So it's like if you want to lead a healthy lifestyle, you have to actively pursue it in prison. So there's there's also, you know, there's this um, there's prison tea that uh, a lot of inmates drink, which is just simply a ramen packet in uh, water. And the average ramen packet has like 7,500 milligrams of, sugar, of uh, sodium. sodium yeah. So you're drinking oh, like that. Like bouillon, salt water. That's, yeah. That's prison tea? It's called prison tea. And how are you able? To, how are you able to cook the food on your own in your cell? Like, are you allowed? No, there was a there's a common area where there's um, a microwave and a toaster oven, okay. which is that's why so many of these meals are so simple. Which is why so many people in dorms would gravitate toward it because of of just the availability of those just two devices and a couple of other things. So, you know, and but in doing the research, you you really learn the way the prison system kind of controls the situation. And, you know, for me, the reason why I, I even, you know, I, I was part of this project was over, over like, you know, the 10, 15 years that I've, I've been a, a rap journalist, I've had this kind of like unique privilege of speaking to a lot of artists right when they get out of prison. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with P, like right when he get, uh, got out. But I also spoke with Boosie. Mm-hmm. And come to find out... Boosie's diabetic, right? Yeah, but he had also cancer. Oh shit! So I believe it was kidney cancer. So, and they blamed it on the lean. But I started to like, you know, you start putting two and two together. How people can enter somewhat healthy and leave like completely a mess. And you know, in in talking with P about it, like literally when he got out, and he was just telling me these stories, and (laughs) I'll never forget. It was one of your guys. Gave me one of the cassettes that were available in prison. It was uh, Jada Kiss, The Last Kiss, and like a prison oh, wow. catalog. And he's like, yeah, this is what's available. So, you know, I was just like going through the what was available. And I'm like, how can anyone survive on this stuff? So, you know, we were putting this this together. And you just look at the nutritional information. And then I started to dig even deeper. And you look at what was available in like the UK in the 50s. Mm-hmm. A typical prison meal was like prime rib. Wow. And like mashed potatoes and glazed carrots. That was like a typical prison meal. I'm not even eating that good now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> and you start to, you see what happens over the years and especially as it made its way, you know, to this country and, and like what was available. I mean, even in the past, what was available here was so fundamentally different than what's available now. And, you know, when we were touring this book, the biggest prison strike in history was happening. So... It was kind of like this perfect storm, but it it was also pretty funny because some of the stuff that we were discussing, like we didn't make it too politically heavy, but 
if you start to read about some of these recipes and what's available and, and all this other stuff, you can kind of put two and two together and be like, oh, you know, I'm trying to kill you in there, you know? <laughs> well, the book did get banned in some prisons. Well, it got banned it? in uh, California. Because, oh, shit. Yeah, but they said it was because there was a hooch recipe. Like, like who doesn't know how to make hooch at this point? But... You know, and I think um, I think there's also parts, uh, you know, especially when it comes to pop culture, the way people like glamorize prison, especially because of Orange is the New Black and just make it seem like this like cool place for camaraderie. And, and there is some of that in the book, you know, because that some of that is true. But there's also something real. I mean, there's an episode of Orange is the New Black where they um, they use the prison packets for currents for like currency so that they could season their mm-hmm. food. But it's like, yeah, but the sodium, like, you know, or there's a joke that one of the um, inmates um, pretends to be uh, Jewish. She, she converts. Yeah, so she can, yeah. Right. So she can have a kosher meal. But like, because the kosher meal is the only meal that actually has fresh vegetables in it. Right. So, you know, there's, there's things that they, that they put in there that I think are, it's pretty cool. But if you don't do your research on why those things are even incorporated into those episodes or whatever, you know, you don't, you don't really understand what's going on. So... Uh, yeah, I mean the kosher meals are like amazing in prison, and and the only fresh thing that um that in in, in peace facility you were allowed to have was an apple. Damn, not even celery, like a banana. Some celery sticks. So yeah, and carrot sticks. Until the day that you uh, you raided uh, little puns. Uh, oh yeah, cabinet. We, we raided the CEO, the correction officer's refrigerator. <laughs> little pun. Yeah, he, he used to call him little pun because he looked like big looked pun, like, the little guy, he like, like a little he version. Like but he would eat the inmates' food. Like he would come in there and he would eat their meals. Like he, why? He would eat the so chow. Is there is there someone to be an advocate for better health? There's there's some chefs that I know in California that are now leaving their respective. Uh, I mean, these are like Michelin uh, Michelin level chefs, James Beard chefs that you know kind of felt in a moral way it was immoral for them to you know, learn fine cuisine and then charge people $2,000 to eat it. And so they're going the opposite. They're they're going to the hoods. They're going in, like, South Central, opening up healthy versions of fast food spots. Mm-hmm. And even Magic Johnson said the reason why he, you know, opened up on Fridays was because, uh, you know, that's one of the few places where you can get a garden salad right. or that sort of thing. Um, Don't nobody get a garden salad. Right. Yeah, I'm going to Fridays for the salad. Right, okay. not yeah, just Johnny Walker. At least no, no, it's an option. Three, three for all or not. No, three but a, wo- a woman approached Magic and said, "Yo, I hope this is like when he opened up his movie theater. She's like, "Yo, I really hope you open up a restaurant and bring it to the hood so we can have fresh salads because you'll be shocked at the fact that you cannot find. I mean, now that most hood spots are being gentrified." I mean, even with um, the locks, they opened up yeah, a yeah, juice, juice bar, bar in Yonkers. Yeah, Styles. You know, giving people their first taste of healthy options. So it's like you know, for for a lot of for a lot of people, especially like, I mean, the, even the idea of soul food is inaccessible. Inaccessible now, like you go to find Southern cuisine spots. At least in the Northeast. Okay. Not not in North Carolina. I'm about to say, that's <laughs> no shortage of that shit. No, but I mean, soul food right now in, in most hoods are takeout Chinese food. Like, when people had the experience of like, oh, collard greens and chicken and grits for dinner, like in the 60s and 70s. Now it's wings. gravy, white, ri- yeah, rice and wings for under five bucks. Pink lemonade, icy mix. So it's like, <laughs> Margaret. Do you. Sorry. <laughs> 
you were placing an order. <laughs> right. Jumbo cheeseburger special. So after you experience. Oh, fries, salt, pepper, ketchup, and hot sauce. All right, motherfuckers. It's hungry. It's about to be lunchtime. I'm just, I'm just asking, do you feel that it's almost necessary that someone advocates uh, or speaks on the behalf of, of getting better conditions? Because I, I often hear of the conditions in prison being horrible and, you know, substandard. And, of course, you know, you, you'll hear these, these you know, right-wing Republicans just being like, you know. Well, it's prison. That's, that's what, what they, they deserve. And da, 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 da. But, you know, it's still like you still got to treat a person human. Sure. And so, like, is there any, is, is, is it, is there any step or do you realistically see reality where that could be changed? I think it's getting I think it's getting everyone on board, but having you know their own reasons for it. Like um, a lot of uh, a lot of right wing Republicans have you know hit me in my DMs along with um, crazed Mob Deep fans, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know kind of trying to challenge me in, in this discussion. And you know, well, they're prisoners, like you know, they can eat whatever, whatever, and. Even if you take away like the um, the humane aspect of it, right. right? Someone enters prison healthy, they leave with diabetes, hypertension, you know, um, poor liver functions, everything, right? Mm-hmm. When they get sick, they go to the ER. You pay for the ER. So if it's you want to get your pocket, one if way or you another. don't want to even look at it for anything other than selfish financial right. like reasons look at that look at that at the heart of it that it's still it's ultimately costing you money for these for people to to get better essentially so you know which it's a horrible reason to have to it's a horrible argument to even present yeah but there are some people that that just horrible people out there yeah yeah (laughs) well people don't also realize you know when when you hear people uh arguing against the idea of private prison Mm -hmm. industry complex People don't know that um, if you're one of the commissary owners, mm-hmm. there was a web, uh, there was an article I was reading about. I guess one of the CEOs of of bon, I don't know if Bonton is a uh, thing here. It's in Pennsylvania. It's real big. It's like Little Debbie's Bonton. Mm-hmm. It's like these local snack companies, okay. but they are making a killing mm-hmm. being the exclusive mm-hmm. uh, provider. Of all these high-end snacks. And it's almost like I feel, I mean, not even I feel. I almost know that it's like the the, the cheapest high-sodium, high-sugar amount, mm-hmm. which keeps you almost. And what's funny is yeah. even when you go visit, I just, y'all just made me think about something because I've been to way too many prisons in Jersey. Even when you go to visit, they don't even provide, like, the snacks are the same for as for the visit. Like, say you're there and it's right. families, it's kids, and they want to eat something while they're there. You better go to the vending machine and get you a piece yeah. of chocolate or something. Not even, like, a trail mix. Nothing in that <laughs> area. Is it, uh, Kathy, is there not one prison that's worth, working on their dietary situation? You know, I, I think... Um, I know that Martha, sorry, Martha Stewart... Changed her spot in West Virginia, and she's still, yeah, yeah. she's still. But hers is like a minimum security uh, prison. It, it was a, it's a federal women's prison. I think it was Morgan. Yeah. No, it's not Morgantown, West Virginia. White I do know that like she's that. yeah, she still actively sends them uh, fresh vegetables and fruit, and yeah. 
you, you know what yeah. what um what's going to ultimately happen in my opinion i mean i'm seeing some of it that they're they're talking about doing it in new york it's going to take someone trying to do it in such a kitschy way because that's what's going to end up it's going to become trendy to do it because um i was reading some articles and they're like check out the farm to table prison whatever and it becomes ah. it's going to have to take that rebranding like, yeah re- like rebranding we need of, a hipster to hit yeah it's gonna yeah. have to be that unfortunately in the same way that you got to like change the argument for republicans on on the whole prison system in right. general but it's gonna have to be something cutesy for them to when their kids are doing is like wait a minute right right yeah. right so yeah. kind of like the way heroin got rebranded <laughs> yeah <laughs> Opioid. i mean but, Opiates. Yeah. but you know the ju- the jump from oz to orange is the new black Mm-hmm. How one, you know, what took off by making it like, hey, what happens when you put, you know, like it's that chic. kind of, yeah, <laughs> right. So I think, um, I think that's going to be the thing that will will have to do it. Um, you know, it, it's it's not not similar, but um, you know, when people started to advocate for better snacks in offices and schools and all these other all these other things, where those things had to change, but it had to uh, be a, a slow build. It's a harder argument. In prisons. Oh, Kathy, are you saying Michelle Obama missed out on that one? Because I just, ooh, like she was supposed to cover that. Are you fucking shot? I'm, no, I'm, I love her. So, all praise due to the queen, but right. the clue just went off in my head. Right. Like, she did schools. She didn't neighbor. What about? Well, you know, the thing that Michelle Obama did that I think was wonderful, too, was, um, you know, there's a school in particular. I forget the name. Um, you know, my mom had consulted for them in, in Newark. They had a garden at the top on the roof, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. kids would grow the vegetables. They would pull down the vegetables, and they would cook with the vegetables for their lunches. So she did some amazing things, but that kind of stuff doesn't translate into prison, right. you know. I mean, I think the the initiative that she did was it was making nutrition fun because that was the problem. Kids weren't having fun with nutrition. Your your Brussels sprouts are gross. Like you know, dip them in chocolate, like whatever, like that. You're making <laughs> <laughs> you're making you're making nutrition fun, but. Convincing, convincing inmates whose families are maybe putting five dollars into their commissary and they finish eating at four p.m. and they're starving by eight o'clock and they're hanging out in the common area and all they have is like enough in their commissary for ramen noodles. Convince them that nutrition is fun because what what happens is it's not the it's not the commissary necessarily. That's the problem. It's the quality of the food that they're eating in chow, too. I mean, the sodium levels of some of those things. But also it's expired food sometimes. Oh, you know, wow. they'll leave cans for however long. I mean, there's rat poisoning in certain prisons in some of the food. They found glass, mm. pubic hair. I mean, these are things, like, these are real issues that just the quality of the food alone and what will end up happening is a lot of the inmates just don't want to eat the food. You know, who's going to want to eat that? So it becomes a matter of, all right, well, I'll just eat some chips. There's a lot of artists that I've spoken to who, when they got out of prison, I and even before meeting um, P and hearing that story, I would say, what did you eat? And I got, you know, most of the time just some chips, like living off like Fritos, you know? And um, and then I remember, um, I forget the artist. Was it Thurston Howell III who did the prison cooking shows? And he would do this, like, show where he would, like, you know, mash up all, like, the the food and he would, like, make these prison dishes. Mm -hmm. And I was just so fascinated. I'm just like, yeah, I get it. Because if, like, if someone said to you, okay, every day all you can eat is a bag of Cheetos, a bag of Doritos, one of those packets of chili, 
and a pack of ramen noodles. Of course, by week three... You're going to find a way to remix that yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to deep fry your ramen noodles in the toaster, <laughs> and you're trying to make a burger out of the chili patty. Like, you're going to try to get creative. So, um, and and that, that chapter that we put in the book... Um, I remember uh, I remember talking to P about it and he's like, you know, some of the things we were going over and he's like, oh, fucking disgusting. <laughs> because like, you know, he, P was one, like he just made a concerted effort to not touch any of that stuff because for him it was like, it could, it's yeah, life, it you know, there, he can't eat that stuff. Right. So, I mean, I remember when, you know, there was like a, a lot of the guys would go in and they would cook together. And um, I remember, you know, asking P, like, what was the th- main thing? And he's like, no, I would just have spinach. Like if I didn't if there was if I didn't want to cook, I would just keep eating canned spinach. But you don't even have to wash that off. It's like packed with sodium. So there's like really no way out if you don't sit and think about it, which is why we put this book together, because it's like, listen, I get it. You know, maybe your commissary is lower than the next guy, but there's ways around what you're choosing to buy and how you're choosing to prepare it, you know? Can I ask, what was the first thing you ate when you got out? <laughs> I went to this Korean barbecue spot called Wuleok. Okay. Downtown in Soho. Korean barbecue. It was really good, That's man. The shit. I thought about it the whole bit. <laughs> That's the shit. Every time I sat down and ate chow, I was like, yo, man, if I was home right now, I'd be eating Korean barbecue. Everybody was like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, yo, trust That's the me. ultimate. Man. You make it yourself. I'm like, yo, you trust me, up. trust me. So as soon as I got out, we drove straight to the restaurant. And I couldn't wait to eat some more of that good food. What's your so, diet and stuff like on the day-to-day now? Um, You know, I just try to, my favorite thing to eat, I try to like grilled chicken, Um, like Kathy said, a lot of green vegetables, a lot of water, um, brown rice. You know, I try to just eliminate fried foods and red meats. Um, you know, it take it takes time to get to that point. A lot of time and discipline. Some people don't like water. You know, what I mean, it took me about a year or two to really get used to like I could just guzzle water, and I love how it tastes. Before that, I was always craving for a juice or, like, you know what I'm saying, a soda. It, t- it takes time to develop and, and discipline your body and your mind and your taste buds to, you know, to do the right thing. So, you know, after a while, you know, even before I went to jail, I, w- I was already learning that stuff in my 20s, like, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, just being locked up, it made me like, all right, I want to see what happens if I'm on some military discipline shit. I want to see what happens, how my body is going to react, how my mind, how, how how things are going to be different if I, like, on some military discipline, straight water every day, green vegetables. I wanted to see the outcome of that. So I, I did it, you know what I mean? And because of doing that, I was able to work out. Like, you know, they tell doctors told me all my life I can't work out, I can't do any uh, physical contact or, or strenuous exercise because it trigger your sickle cell and it's true like certain things I do like if, I, if, if, my, if I'm running around too much and my heart rate start going too fast I get too hyped my adrenaline start pumping it trigger my sickle cell it can trigger my sickle cell so you know once I, once I cleaned out changed my diet and was very 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 strict with it and with the water very strict with the with the vegetables and everything I noticed that I wasn't getting sick. I didn't feel sick at all. I was able to work out, not feel sick. Like, you know what I mean? I was just able to get strong, and it felt great. 
it felt great. I was like, wow, this is ill. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I was already doing it in the streets. Like I said, I learned, I learned how to do that in my 20s. I kind of fell off. You know what I mean? Right before I went to jail, I started going a little downward spiral. I was going through some bullshit in my life. But, um, you know, I, I was already with that discipline. I had already changed my life for five, six years straight. Uh, no smoking. This is this is uh, from 2000, I mean, excuse me, from 98, 97, 98 to like 2002, something like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 2000, maybe 2003. Um you know, I was on some strict diet shit. I, I was, like, learning how to heal myself through diet and, and spirituality. So I did that already, and I felt the effects of it. And then I kind of, like I said, I kind of went on a down spiral right before I got locked up. So when I got locked up, I was like, you know what? I want to try what I did. I want to do it to the maximum now. I want to really do this shit now. Like I said, straight military discipline with it. So with spirituality, do you mean like meditating, deep breathing? I mean like just the power of your thoughts. Affirmations, yeah, affirmations. Yeah, like just the power of your thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Negative thoughts. Like if somebody, like especially being in jail, everybody got bad attitude. Nobody wants to be there. Everybody's upset they in jail. Like everybody wakes up in the morning pissed off. Nobody wants, even the the correction officers are pissed off. They got to work there. They got to be there. You know what I'm saying? So, Everybody got an attitude in that motherfucker. And especially correction officers, they talk to you like, like shut the fuck up. Way. Go do this. Go do Go Go uh, wash the toilets. Go do this. Like, they bossing you around. Like, they fuck with you. Especially when they first meeting you and getting to know who you are. They fuck with you. They try to press your buttons and see if you, how you react. So I use that as, all right, this is going to be my training. I'm going to control my thoughts. As soon as he... Or anybody gives me a bad attitude, instead of me saying, man, fuck, in my mind, you know, my first thought in my mind used to be, man, fuck this nigga, like, you know what I'm saying? Piece of shit. But then now I started practicing, as soon as that thought pops in my head, change it, be like, you know what? I'll pray for him. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully he'll get his thing together. You know what I mean? He don't know what he's doing. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's just angry. He got work here. So I'll, I'll pray for this person. That's what, and I'll change my thought to that. So I started practicing that in there. And that was like the perfect place to practice that. You know what I'm saying? Because you're dealing with all this tension and, and right. foul shit every day. So I would practice that every day, every day. Practice changing my thoughts immediately. As soon as the thought popped in my head, I changed it to something else. And then when I kept doing it, it just it was, it happened naturally. You know what I mean? I don't have to think about it no more. And through eating right and, you know, thinking different. It changed, like, spirituality, that changes your spirit. Once you start thinking different. You know, you're more at peace. Right. You're more at peace with everybody else and yourself. You know what I'm saying? You you walk peacefully. Like, you carry yourself peacefully. You know what I'm saying? Um, at the same time, you know, I'm who I am. I grew up how I grew up. So it's not like I turned into some soft sucker motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I just know how to control my thoughts now. You're you know an, what I'm saying? You're an evolved it's human refined. being. I was going to say, man. too, man, I hear that in the new record, too. Um, I listened to it on the plane on the way over here. Thanks. And um, shit is dope, man. I can hear, like, just the... the. I don't want to misquote the lick, but it was one joint in particular you were talking about. You know, it ain't about black, and I don't care if you're white. Uh, you know, it ain't about your religion. Like, right. You were just, you know, just kind of speaking tyranny, to... Tyranny joint. Yeah. yeah, tyranny, yeah. And you were saying, I just tyranny... I don't give a fuck about none of that. <laughs> you like, know race saying? don't matter. You right, know what that's, I mean? Yeah, that was it. Your faith don't matter. The enemy is government tyranny. All that other shit don't matter. Like You know what I'm saying? Your rich don't matter. Your broke don't matter. 
the enemy, they threaten our liberties. All that other shit don't matter. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get. Because they try to, like, divert our attention with, like, a lot of racial issues. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of racial issues with this country, like, for a long time. But they magnify that shit on the news, and, and they magnify it so much to the point where we think it's more than what it really is. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if people only knew, we all have a common enemy that's really trying to destroy our spirit and our soul and our, control our life. We actually have a common enemy. It's like, you know what I'm saying? That's what I was trying to get across, the point I was trying to get across on that song. So, um, yeah, you know, I would practice that in jail, and it just, it changed me, man. That shit felt great. I was like, oh, shit, this is ill. <laughs> I was like, this is a great way to think. Like, I, I'm glad I was doing this. I was like, man, this is great, man. Street meditation. Well, I was like, I should have told <laughs> you on this shit. Like, you know what I mean? It just well, made me feel better. Well, I, I felt better every day as a person, like, you know what I mean? Well, Prodigy, we are going to have to close the show. Unfortunately, we could talk to you forever. I do have one last question. What up, though? Are we going to get one more reunion album out of you and Havoc? We definitely, me and Havoc are like crack fiends when it comes to hip hop. Like, <laughs> it's like we. That's good like, shit to know. Like, you know, I rock him, but like, I'm a fiend. So you're about <laughs> to do some, you're, you're, I know that you're going to do, uh, you're doing a few projects. With live musicians, uh, you're doing your residency at, at Blue Note. Yeah, that's every month. Yeah, we do it once a month there. So, how can people find out like news about upcoming dates with you and that sort of thing? Um, I always tell people like you know you can always Google. You okay. know what I mean, hit up, hit up Google like yo. <laughs> are you on Twitter? Or What's Prodigy are you? doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Prodigy okay. Mob Deep. Okay, Instagram cool. Prodigy Mob Deep. Um, but yeah, so we can I, you I, I forget sometimes myself. If you want to know what any of your favorite artists is performing or when a new album is dropping, you could go right on Google and just be like, "Yo, yep. Mob Deep new album or Prodigy new concert or you know what I'm saying?" Like, and it'll all pop up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Magic. Or, or you, you, uh, I guess, uh, cleverly released the the Hegelian dialect, dialectic, dialectic yeah. uh, on January twentieth. <laughs> which, Inauguration day Which was Yeah I was gonna say <laughs> And that was planned out We did that on purpose I, 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 I figured as much um, Oh And Laia's birthday And your birthday Well yeah but Come It's on. all about you Laia Right Okay that's Laia Supreme <laughs> Well Kathy and Prodigy I thank you very much for thank you uh, Yeah thank you I don't even think I'll go through the customary what we learned thing because I think we learned everything at the same time. Yeah, man. Shout out to everybody too, man. I always got to do this, man. Shout out to Jay-Z. Shout out to Nas. Shout out to all my niggas, man. You know what I'm saying? So love. You know, I fuck with y'all niggas, man. This is like, man, I'm a fan of Jay-Z. You know what I'm saying? We went through our shit. I'm a fan. I love son. He's one of the illest. I learned so much from him watching him do business. How he carry yourself. You know, same with Nas. I learned so much about how he write his songs and make his music. Like, you know what I'm saying? It ain't no, ain't no beef. Ain't no none of that shit, man. We grown. We are now men. evolved. Yeah, yeah, we you evolved. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yo, but you gotta get out the comments. Don't read them comments no more. They get to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no more comments. I love reading the comments. No, man, no. No. The comments be better than the articles. Sometimes. I love reading <laughs> yeah. the comments. Not when they taking him down too much. No. Too much. Yeah. No more comments. You don't remember yeah. none of the positive. You don't remember the negative. But yo, the listeners out there, man. You know what I mean? Anybody could go to jail. I was locked up with a lot of characters from different walks of life. You man. hear that, Bill? 
<laughs> Anybody could get locked you up. Are Sesame Street. Un- un- you too can go to jail, Bill. <laughs> I was in there with judges, DAs, detectives. My prisoner friend just said that the other day. He in there with engineers, farmers. Bill, I was in there with billionaires. Like, engineers? Anybody could get locked up. Mistakes happen. You, you know what I mean? You could make a mistake, a fatal mistake, and end up going to jail. And from any walk of life. Look at uh, Martha Stewart. So... What I'm, what I'm saying that is just, you know, stay out of jail, man, so you ain't got to eat that crap, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> For real. Stay out, out the corner store. Stay out the corner store. Yeah, man, stay your ass in the street, man. Do the right thing. And on that note, on behalf of Prodigy, Kathy, Yondali. There it is. I got it. Finally. I've Sugar been, Steve. I've, I've been 20 years. Sugar Steve, damn. Sugar Steve, we didn't even... Bring up your sugars. Your sugars. Your sugars. Ask about the sugar free cookbook. Steve. Exactly. You can go to prison and get diabetes, or you can just hang out with you and get diabetes. No, no, whatever, whatever. (laughs) Unpaid Bill, Boss Bill, Fontigolo, and Margaret. Oh, you. Margaret, how many prisons you been to in Jersey? Like five. Margaret been everywhere. (laughs) You've been on prison tour. Wrong way. Yo, this is Questlove, Questlove Supreme. We will see you on the next go round. Thank you very much. Yep. See you later. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.